With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Recorded live. All right. Uh, after after 11 different co-hosts were advertised by seven different people to be on this podcast, and after a numerous amount of complaints about both the day and the time, we finally have an FCM podcast. Despite everyone's best efforts to wreck this, we will have an FCM podcast, and we will have one hell of an FCM podcast because I have two phenomenal guest hosts. And not only that, it's one of the most important podcasts of the year. It's the season preview for 2053, and it's going to shape up, I think, to be a pretty interesting year in FCM, uh, especially considering the litany of changes that happened in the offseason, maybe not in terms of the rules, but it definitely looks like a brand-new FCM for this new thing, if not only because we have a brand-new world champion. But before we get into that, uh, I will introduce my co-hosts. Back on the line after phenomenal after phenomenal work on, uh, I believe, two podcasts that you've been on in the past, Gilly. Uh, Gilly D is back, uh, the general manager of the Pittsburgh Pirates. How you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, I'm looking forward to be on tonight. I've got a copious amount of notes that will upset some people and make some people happy. So I am happy to be here, and I'm looking forward to it. Well, if there's one thing I've proved, this podcast is mostly about upsetting people. And also posting grumpy cat memes, complaining. Uh, and uh, on the line, making his first appearance on the podcast somehow. You made it all the way to episode 41 without being on one. And uh, that's my. And that would be my half-brother and the general manager of the Oakwood Days. Heck, how you doing? You, uh, you never asked me to be on a podcast, so I wasn't just going to volunteer myself until I did, what was it, yesterday or two days ago. Just like, hey, well, let's do this. I'm pretty sure I've asked you to be on a podcast before, but it has been for a while because you've been out of FCM, but we'll we'll talk about that. It's been like um, six mogul years. It's not that long. Six mogul years? I don't know if this podcast – I don't know how many mogul years old this podcast is. Only about only about eight or nine. Um, we should figure out the conversion of how many mogul years you get per actual year. Actually, we do about four podcasts a year. It might be This podcast might be almost ten mogul years old. Uh so, wow, it's a long time. Uh, so, uh, so speaking of a long time, a person who's waited a long time to take down his first world championship is JPS, one of the longtime owners here in FCM. And finally, the Cincinnati Reds have, uh, have won their first world championship, managing to uh, weasel by the Detroit Tigers. Um, and they're in sort of an uh, interesting GB, position. Like yes, GB... GB uh, GB, who Hick and I live for trolling on a regular basis, not probably not a fan on that result uh, of that result. But uh, JPS uh, finally has finally has won his first world championship. Congrats to him. I know he's I know he's been long time coming for him. He's had a lot of good teams, but it seems like this one was the one that put it all together. Now I think his team's in a very interesting position for the next season because 
he does have a lot of young talent. He's still got Romero. He's still got Baroka, Baker, and Norris leading that rotation. Well, a lot of good role players. But there's two, there are some critical players on that team that are aging a little, that are like currently aging. Horacio Aguilar, who's who's arguably the best pure hitter in the file, uh, took took a dive last season, and um, Jeff McCausland, who's been a key cog in that middle infield, has also been uh, aging not particularly gracefully. Still productive on the field, but you got to wonder how long it's going to last if that rating keeps dropping. So we're so and when you've got uh, St. Louis closer to putting everything together there again to like rebuild the rebuild the powerhouse he had like a few years ago, although I don't think it's at that level yet. And as well as Milwaukee with the litany of uh, the litany of talent they have, especially in that lineup, it's looking like uh, it's looking like this might not be the easiest thing in the world for Cincy to to repeat again or to even deal with that division again. Uh, and not to mention, Gilly, you you've you've said it yourself. You're making a deliberate effort to compete this year and put more pressure on the top teams in that division, making a very controversial bet, which we'll get into later. But let me. Yeah, Pete uh, Rose would like that one. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, oh, this is exactly the sort of thing that uh, this is exactly the sort of thing that that we would su- we would support for realism. Owners betting with each other on the results of the season. Uh, but my question about this, uh, Red that, team is Red team is how much do they have left in the tank? Uh, Hick, uh, we'll start with you. Do you think they have a chance to legitimately repeat or compete for a title again this year? Absolutely. They only lost four guys to free agency, and only like one of them was any sort of an impact on the team last year, which was uh, Chris Jobs, who was like a part-time starter. So, I mean, all in all, they didn't lose really anything. And they picked up another like a backup first baseman and go along with what they already have. So it's a very similar sort of looking team. And, uh, you know, so I, I expect nothing different from them. So you don't think like the issues of like Aguilar and McCausland aging might really hurt this team? I think it will down the road, but I don't think that's going to be an instantaneous one-year turnaround. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the issue is that both of them sort of fell last year in my mind, and you never know, especially with them aging relatively rapidly, if you get that one drop or that one injury that takes you out of the point of being really that productive of a player. I, I do agree that for the most part, like, I, I wouldn't bet against a team that has that top three of a rotation, especially one that young. Um, and they still got Romero at the top of the lineup. They still have Peter Moxon. They still have uh, they still have the uh, still have Wilson Brown there. Uh, Wilson Brown, one of the few like elite catchers in the file that actually hits like that actually plays like an elite hitter, as opposed to just sort of has a really good rating and doesn't play like uh, and doesn't actually hit all that well. Uh, some other catchers in the league are quite a bit like that. But uh, Gilly, I, I know. Um, I know you're stepping up to compete. I'm assuming that's either the, the I'm assuming that might be partially because you see some weakness in this division. Do you think that weakness starts at the top with Cincinnati or or uh or do you think that they are the they're still the big favorite to win this division? Cincinnati's still the big favorite to win this division. Um I think you can keep it going another year. Um you know, Hick already touched on the young pitching. They got Norris Baker from Baroka. Those guys are going to be competing for a long time. So, you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. And in order for either Milwaukee or I to take over JPS's spot at the top, we're going to have to beat him. And I just I think it's going to be a battle, and we'll get into it later. But I think he's still got enough in the tank for this year. Um, you know, when Aguilar comes up at the end of his contract, you're going to have to release him. So he's going to fill that 
he's going to have to fill that spot with a pretty big bat. You know, in talking about free agency, we'll get to later, but he didn't really go out and get himself, you know, any of the potential big bats. I mean, he got a Goliath, which I'm really not that impressed with. So, um, Yeah, that was like the only single free agent that picked up the entire offseason, and he's a, like a backup first baseman who's a righty. They've already, uh, yeah. already, and they've already got one at the top, so I don't really understand that move, and, except for depth. Nope, and, the, I mean, that's one, and for as close as this division is, I would have expected him with his cash and his payroll that he has, I would have expected him to go out and get a few more pieces that could solidify that top spot. But all in all, what he's got, he's got enough to win, whether he can hang on to it uh, or not will be will be seen. I mean, the, the issue probably didn't go out and get more is he's projected to, to lose quite a bit of money this year. He's running a much higher payroll than you can – Usually run with the Reds fairly consistently with 141 million, uh, like toward the top of the league in terms in terms of that. Probably doesn't have that much more wiggle room to spend until like a guy like Aguilar comes off the books in in 2054. Uh, so uh, probably not not much he can do to like really add to the depth of this team. But I, I'd I'd be inclined to agree. There's still a ton of star power there, even if let's say Aguilar falls off the face of the earth. Uh, as long as you can keep that defense and that and that top of the pitching together, they they should be at least good enough to make the playoffs. They may not be, they may not be that dynamic offensive team we've seen some of the last couple of years if Aguilar continues to drop, but they still should be more than good enough to to uh, uh, to compete for a title in my mind. But you know, whenever you have that key star aging, uh, it can really affect your team. Uh, Aguilar hasn't really had too much of a drop in production on the field yet. But that could start as soon as this year, and if I'm JPS, I'd have to think at some point if I'm going to uh, leverage some of my picks and some of my prospects to get something to put in the middle of that, uh, to get some other bat to put into the middle of that lineup, hopefully a relatively young one that'll gel with the rest of that team. I know it's easier said than done, but it's going to be, and and replacing a guy like Aguilar is going to be close to impossible, but... Uh, at least in terms of his full production, but you got to be—he's got to be vigilant and make sure that uh, that uh, a drop there doesn't uh, doesn't potentially torpedo a season for him. Yeah, and it's not like Aguilar hasn't been productive either. I mean, he had—you know—he had his worst career OPS this, uh, since his rookie year this year, and that was 9.59, which is good for fifth in baseball and second in the NL. So it's not like he's tanking. I mean, he's still an extremely productive player. And if you look at, you know, his chart right now, you don't see the stress drop. I mean, he had a drop last year, but he doesn't have a birthday until November. So, I mean, you've got to think that he's still got a decent amount left in the tank, at least for this entire season. Yeah, you got to hope. But you're also rolling the dice on a guy with 54 health, admittedly one being a DH. And uh, especially when you get that old, an injury will hit your rating almost all the time. It's any sort of major injury. Yeah, but I mean, also you look at his injury history, and there's almost nothing there. Yeah. Uh, so we'll, we'll so see what happens with Aguilar. Yeah, which has been good news. It's been like in in terms of in terms of staying on the crap table, it always seems to be coming up black or red or whatever the good one is. I I, I don't know how roulette works. Uh, I also called it craps, which is also wrong. Craps is the game with the dice. Uh, I would have had to say he keeps rolling seven or something like that. So. Uh, so I think JPS is in a position that he might be able to add another ring relatively soon. So I think that's good news for him, although uh, we'll see in our season predictions uh, whether we think that's going to happen. And I think uh, I didn't, I didn't want to uh, – people are going to accuse me of bearing the lead because I didn't talk about this first, but I did absolutely want to congratulate the GM for getting 
for getting their first ring before we talked about arguably the biggest news of the offseason, and that's the fact that Andy P. is no longer the general manager of the Oakland A's. Uh, that would be Hicks' job now. But right now he is now the czar, uh, uh, benevolent dictator, whatever you want to call, uh, whatever you want to call him of FCM. Uh, he decided to run all the sims, be the only person in charge of the file, uh, really just take, really just fill the administrative role for the entire league. And this is sort of a throwback because in Mowgli's I've seen now. Exceptionally, com- exceptionally common for the uh, for the general manager uh, for the, you see the main commissioner, the person running the league, to also be the general manager in the league. Hokies league, uh, no strikes mogul is an exception uh, I've seen to that. But for the most part, it became uh, more and more commonplace to see that happen as as started over time. Now I don't know how long Gilly's been playing. I know Hicks been playing a while. I know I've been playing this game for for over a decade now and and in the early leagues I started in like around the around mogul 2000 or mogul 2003 it was exceptionally rare and and usually seen as 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 taboo for the person running the file to for the commissioner of the league to also be a general manager in the league so I think Andy's maybe sort of sort of going by that mentality that he doesn't want someone running the file especially a locked file uh, that is also a general manager, and maybe he just got tired of, of of really didn't think he had anything left to prove as a general manager with you know seven titles, a number of accolades, building up this Oakland team to a phenomenal year last year, even though it didn't end up with a title. But let's be honest here: there's uh, Rocky in in Minnesota, Rocky in Milwaukee almost resigned, and that was with Hick as his co-GM, like taking some of the pressure off of him. And uh, Steel Third and Tampa looked like they were about to resign. Um, uh, looked to resign. So we have two general managers about to resign that barely stay on. Uh, my main question here, and I'll start with you, Gilly, when I ask this: Is this really the right time for Andy to be making a move like this? You know, I, it's hard for me to answer that question without knowing what problem we're trying to solve, um, and I'm not going to try to speculate. Um, I don't think it's a big deal as long as Andy doesn't get burnt out. Um, I think it's good for the league. Uh, I've been kind of spoiled because I think going on a decade now, I've been in the league with Andy, either in some capacity, either him as another co-GM or a GM or in an admin role. So um, I don't want him to get burnt out, and I don't, you know, I don't think he's going to get burnt out. He stated, he stated himself that it's not a requirement that he manages the team, um, but I would only caution, you know, you know, keeping him from getting burnt out is a good thing. Uh, it's the primary thing that we got to focus on. So, because um, this is a good league, I don't want it to go away. Yeah, I I think this league has had one of the strongest sets of uh, sets of owners and and uh, sets of activity that I've ever seen in a league. It's really the only league I want to be in at this point. Realistically, uh, I I've been in other leagues and I just don't function nearly as well uh, in in a different type of environment. Maybe I am a bit spoiled by this league. But uh, I'll say this, um, this is the kind of move that gets made when you have like a waiting list and other things like that. And, and, and there was a time where we had a pretty significant waiting list going. But at, at this point, we have two general managers who almost left, um, who almost left. Now, the point about burnout is pretty interesting in terms of this with Andy. I, I, for the most part, I agree with the decisions he makes. I think he runs the file very well. I think he runs Sims very well. I'm very happy with that portion of it. Um, I do think, though, there might be something to be said for burnout, although 
maybe he just thinks it's less work for him to run every sim than it, it would be for him to run like two sims run like a, a sim a week plus any additional sims that he'd have to make up for someone who couldn't do it plus running a team on top of it so maybe that burnout issue maybe that's the pressure he's coming from that this is actually less work or that this is good for the league even if it's slightly more work uh and it's better that he doesn't have a team but i don't know if the team if the league is in the best uh spot in terms of new general managers coming in uh, to to afford to lose Andy, who's a very brilliant general manager. And I know it gave Hick an opportunity, and I'm very happy for that, but uh, I don't know if the timing here was great. Hick, I know you might be a little biased here, but like uh, considering you were in the middle of this situation, but what do you think of the move overall? Well, first, I, I think we all acknowledge that Andy's pretty smart. But I don't think we even know how smart he is because I've never had a conversation with him or I haven't learned something or left like, I've, like I'm, I'm smarter than I was before. So I think he knows a lot more than we even really know. So I'm never going to really question anything he does, especially for the benefit of the league, which this definitely feels like it is. Um, and at the same time, you know, this happened within 12 hours of two guys that were le- leaving the league in the span of 30 minutes um, pushed was a very strange sort of situation. So I feel like Andy's decision was happening before those were happening. And it seems like he had, Andy that is, it seems like he had motivation to be doing what he was doing. It wasn't just flying by the seat of his pants. So uh, I wouldn't question what he was doing there um, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, uh, timing, the timing of it was interesting. And, um, I didn't necessarily think it was a, a problem that we had multiple people with access to the file, but uh, I, I mean, to avoid like just the appearance of, you know, conflicts of interest and other stuff like that. I am an old school guy in the sense of, I do like it being a situation where the people running the league aren't general managing in the league at the same time. I think that's better for the league overall. Uh, I hope though that we can, you know, build up the waiting list a bit uh, just in case we end up losing some of the GMs that have, losing either Steel Third or Rocky at some point, or maybe getting them a co-GM, uh, getting either of them a co-GM to maybe take the workload off of them. Because, first of all, I don't want to lose them as general managers because they're very good, but I also don't want a situation where uh, where Andy, so soon after stopping being a GM, has to essentially go in and, 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 and GM teams for any significant period of time after that. So um, I hope this works out for the league. Um, I Andy's I I don't wouldn't really trust uh anyone more than Andy to run things here. Uh you said it yourself, Hick. He's he's a smart guy. I always I, I mean I learned I've learned a lot from him in just conversations as well as doing the podcast with him all the time. Uh and I think he's he does a good job for the league. So I, I hope that that will continue and I think that that it, it's good to it, it's good to minimize any potential uh conflicts uh down the road. So um, that leads us into issue three, and that's Hick, that you're, first of all, you're back in the league, and very quickly after being back in the league, you go from co-GM of Milwaukee to the general manager of the A's. Uh, great job as to, like, working your way up the corporate ladder and getting promoted so quickly. Yeah, I couldn't have designed it any better myself if I had a crystal ball in my, uh, you know, in my house. Um, no, uh, I actually, well, I got wind that Rocky needed help, and so I came on because I haven't been in for a while for various reasons that I can address later if you guys want. But, um, no, I mean, so I came in and I was talking to Rocky, and 
we decided, you know, because we've worked in worked together on trades a lot, and we have very similar sort of um, uh, philosophies as it comes to mobile and building a team and stuff like that. So it seemed like a pretty good partnership, and, and it was for what we were working. Um, and then uh, all of a sudden we had three openings at the start of free agency, and I didn't know which one I was going towards, so I was as much up in the air as everyone else was. So it was a very interesting offseason for me, for sure. Yeah, I, I can only imagine. So what – you don't have to necessarily get into all the reasons as to why you weren't in Mogul, but let's just put it this way. What what made you want to come back? Well, that's funny. I actually got a text from Peter at the end of uh, last month, or January, I should say, um, which he was saying that Andy missed me, which I, you know, may or may not be true, but, uh, you know, based on Peter's, you know, reputation. Um, but, I mean, when I, was, when I was here and before I had to leave, I was working, you know, 13 hours a day and had – no internet access at home, and I was working at the television station, and that was taking all of my time. So, I mean, since then, I've found a different job. I'm working, you know, much more manageable hours, you know, 35, 40 hours a week, not, you know, 70 hours a week. So, much more like a normal human now, and I have accessible internet and accessible time and stuff like that. And even if I have to wake up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning, it's, you know, it's better than it was. Yeah, in the brief periods of time in my life where I've worked like absurd out work hours, it, it it's not only that it's not only that you spend all your time at the office. It's that it's very hard to break. It's very hard to just sort of get back into like a a relaxed frame of mind when you leave the office. Like I, it was at the point where I was just so like. Even if I had, even if I had time to enjoy other things, I wouldn't have enjoyed them because I was just too burned out from working. So I, I know I know what you're saying, Hick. Um, glad you're working more manageable hours. Hopefully it's not for some sort of egregious pay cut over what you were doing before. But uh, you're in a situation now, like let's go back to Mogul. You're in the situation yeah, where, <laughs> uh, where you've got the A's who have a ton of talent and some absolute superstars, uh, some absolute superstars to build around on both sides of the ball. Um Bart Ahern, one of the most unique and wonderful players in the file, and and some great pitching, and and Daryl Sabinski. You have a ton of talent, but you also have argue you also have a team with just as much talent in in, in the Seattle Mariners, um, and they're right in your division. They, you two, I think, were head and shoulders above pretty much any other team in the league last year in terms of record. So, my question is, how are you going to deal with the very difficult? Uh, team in your own division, and what are you going to do to make sure that, A, you win that division and don't end up in a wild card, and second of all, that you can get this team over the top to finally win a championship? Well, I mean, Andy, you know, as usual, has built an absolute machine out of this team, and I'm trying not to, you know, inevitably destroy all of it, so I'm basking in the glory until that that he, you know, built up. But, um, no, I mean, I've looked down the rosters of both the A's and the Mariners, and, I mean, I would give the edge to Ballgame. I would give it to Seattle because they have much I – th- I think they have a better team. Um, I, th- I wouldn't say much better. I would say they have a better team top to bottom. They've got, I think, mean, a better pitching um, – and basically the entire pitching squad is better and deeper um, offense. Uh, you could call it a draw, I guess. But, uh, no, I need to figure out a way to add a couple more pieces to, you know, really round out the roster without sacrificing too much of the uh, – the farm because there's not a whole lot going on in the farm right now, which I'm hoping to address one way or another. So um, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to see how things are going throughout the season and see if I need to make big risks to overtake ballgame over in Seattle and see how that goes. But uh, It's going to be an evolving situation and I'm going to try not to get the entire roster doing it. 
Yeah, I mean, ball game has definitely uh, kept the momentum going from from both Maddie and like it, and uh, and and the and HB's brief days there in Seattle, keeping that core together, adding to that core, sort of adapting uh, uh, adapting that team to his style. Done a very good job there. Uh, looked hasn't quite paid off in terms of World Series yet for him, but maybe he will get there as well. But it's very interesting to see the two teams the two teams that are not only in the same division, that are so complete as teams, but are so unbelievably, that are so evenly matched. Uh, I don't know if we can really say one team is head or shoulders better than the other. I might give the edge to Oakland this year, because I like just some of the players in the middle of that order better, uh, but it's, it's so very close. Um, I think Seattle Seattle's probably most significant edge on on Oakland would probably be the bullpen of all things. Uh, I think Absolutely. they have some really strong arms back there that might be they might be able to squeeze out some close games. But uh, I love some of the builds of the players on that Oakland team. Uh, Gilly, um, I know you've uh, uh, Gilly. Uh, two questions for you: uh, Which of those two teams do you think is better, Oakland or Seattle? And secondly, what? what sort of advice would you give to Hick uh, to sort of get the team uh, over the top and get into um, the championship? Yeah, before, before, I, before I go into that, how good a pick, when looking back, look at uh, Ahern and Zabinski, has there ever been a better number seven and number eight pick back-to-back than those two players? That's just incredible the way it turned out in 48. Yeah. I was just looking at that. Um well, the first question is, what do I think who has the edge? Um, I have uh, Seattle barely uh, in in the edge department. You know, I think everything you guys already said was reasons why, um, and it's real close. I mean, it's not like it's um, that far apart. I mean, it could go either way depending on an injury here or an injury there. Or, you know, Oakland does have a few younger pitchers. You know, Abel and Canamar. I mean, obviously they're good, but they're still young pitchers. Um, Seattle has a little bit more mature roster, and they've been there, I think, a little bit more in terms of um, pitching. You know, they got a hell of a pitching staff. That's where they're going to win. They've got great starters, and then they got the entire bullpen is just uh, – I wish I had one of their guys on my bullpen, um, let alone they've got four or five of them. Yeah, um, I wish I had one of those guys in my bullpen so I could trade them for other things. Yeah. Me. So, I mean, I'd give the edge to Seattle, but I wouldn't be surprised if Oakland won. Um, it's not that far apart. I mean, it's right there. So um, it'll be the youth of Oakland and versus kind of the maturity in the bullpen and pitching staff of Seattle. Um, yeah. Advice, advice, go ahead. Yeah, I'd say uh, just the quick advice that I would give, and just this, this is clearly something I see here, uh, looking a little more closer, I think probably the biggest edge to Seattle may not be the bullpen. It's actually the back of the rotation. I think uh, if you look at the top three, like Seattle's is awesome, but Oakland's is really good too. But when you get into Kraus and Hodel, four and five, as opposed to uh, Barajas and Abrams, who would probably be like number two starters at minimum in nearly any other rotation in the league, that's a pretty significant difference. And although that may not be as big of an edge in the playoffs where you're cutting down to three or four starters in the regular season, that's going to add up to a lot of games. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, just looking at trying to understand his, you know, Hicks lineup a little bit, um, you know, you went out and got a couple players in off season, Palm and Parker, and it looks like you want to start Parker. Um, I'm just curious if there's any opportunity to get Carlos in the lineup 
Um, you know, he's progressing well. I'm not sure I like Parker that much. So one of the suggestions I might have, and this might be going too far, would be to see and give Carlos a chance at third base. Um, you know, it may be a little early, but I would be interested to see how he performs there. Well, going off that, I think that Parker can be a very serviceable third baseman. I mean, he had a 725 OPS last year, granted in limited time, only 74 games. But, I mean, he's got the, he's got the numbers in his history, and he's got the um, – got the ratings to back it up. Uh, he plays amazing defense, so I think he's a good stopgap thing until um, uh, Ancolaris, or however you pronounce that, Arcolaris, I'll figure it out someday. Yeah, uh, I didn't try to pronounce probably it. Probably just call it. <laughs> uh, I just call Carlos. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you look at his, you know, if you look at his splits and the, and the minors and stuff like that, I mean, he's not He's he's not ready yet by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he might be by, you know, August or something like that, but I mean, I'm not going to rush him. Um, there's no mm-hmm. benefit to that. Um, if I'm in, you know, the heat of a pennant race and something like that, and the wild card is not an option, that would be something where I would potentially give him uh, the nod over Parker, but it's not something I'm really interested in right now because um, I've ruined yeah. a lot of prospects rushing him. Yeah, yeah so maybe if you look, care- if you look uh, carefully at Arcelaris, something I'm noticing here is um, – when a player is like at least like a year or two before their peak, you'll see in their you'll see when you look at their ratings in the lineup screen and their ratings in the um in this in the uh, I don't know what they call it the skills tab they don't line up with each other the ones right. that are lower in the lineup screen that's a sign that he's at least two two years probably away from peaking so yeah it is a situation where you don't necessarily need to call him up right away at least for one more jump or so yeah there are two yeah, of the trade. Based on looking at player cards, where you can tell if guy if a guy is still uh, progressing, but I'm not going to give away all the state secrets on that one. These yeah. guys, especially <laughs> if you know the, if you know the uh, <laughs> if you know them, you know them, and you know it was passed on to me by somebody at one point, and it's something I've been using since. But you know, you can look at player cards and get a lot more than just what they currently are. So just chew on yep. that for a little while. Yep, and. Uh, so that might be something to keep an eye on. That's why I mentioned it. it depending on if he gets another jump in how the season's progressing, the other option would be just outright go find another third baseman and trade for another team. If you don't like how Parker's performing, you're not ready to call up Carl RCL or Larez or whatever. So that's just the thought. Yeah, let's just call him Carlos. <laughs> the czar the has given us a pronunciation guide. Thank you, Andy. Oh, it is perfect. pronounced Arcilieris. I would not have guessed that at all. Oh, look at that. Arcelieris. Yeah, that's, that looks about right. I've been watching a lot yeah, of Andy Mexican Draft wrestling, so I should have been able to pronounce that. Yeah. All right, so so guess nine is Andy. Cool. So he has been here listening to us talk uh, good praise about him. Yes, it's important that the it's important that the godfather of the podcast, Mafia, Mafia and the czar of the league, get along, you know, to make sure there aren't any gang wars for power or control, especially considering I would probably lose. Um Considering how well I keep the podcast mafia in line, it's I'm always like two days away from an insurrection anytime a podcast is about to start. Uh, so uh, let's let's move on a little bit to uh, free agency. Um, I know Andy commented on he thought this was a better free agent class than usual. I'm not sure I completely believe that, but there were some interesting names in this free agency. Um, what did you guys think of this free agent class? I guess I'll start with Hick. Well, I mean, I can't really talk about this freezing class as opposed to other ones because this is my first off season here, and uh, you know, I was also you know scouting three, scouting four or three different teams at one point. Um, but I mean, you know, I always try to 
save money in free agency. I never go for like the $25 million guy, you know, I mean, aside from Palm, who was, you know, a quote, quote, inherited bid, but I mean, I, I definitely would have needed him on that roster. I mean, I paid, you know, 6 million for nine guys and five of them will be on my opening day roster. So, I mean, I go small ball as, as that goes, but, um, you know, free agency as a whole, I mean, I didn't see any sort of drop-off from, you know, what a normal free agent class would look like. Um, there was plenty of talented players at the top, and they got paid. So, I mean, that seemed pretty standard to me. Yeah, uh, there were some there were some talented names that, that got paid. Of course, uh, there was always the uh, one reliever everyone uh, gloms onto and overbids on, which is a tradition right. unlike any other in this league. Uh, but there's, there, there were some interesting names there. I guess Harwell was probably the most, Harwell and Allen were the most interesting to me. It was a little probably better on the pitching side. I don't think there was necessarily an impact hitter available in this free agent class. Uh, so that's, so there's something to be said for that. But on the pitching side, there were some decent arms that you could put toward the top of the rotation. Gilly, when you saw this free agent class, I know you ended up signing one of them. Uh, you ended up signing one impact free agent, Justin Barron's. A former, uh, a former Met. Uh, what, what did you look at at these free agents, and who were you really targeting? Uh, for me, I was targeting a third baseman. I needed to put some power in my lineup. That was one of my problems last year was not scoring enough runs. I've got some players now that I think can get on base, but I need to have somebody hit them in. So that's really what I was going after with Barron. Um, there, you know, this this free agent class when I look at it, almost as a microcosm of our league where. We've got all these corner positions that have some high power, uh, low contact, pretty average fielding. You've got very little up the middle. You know, at catcher in this in this free agency, there was hardly anybody basically back up for bench players. Um, you had Miyamoto at second base, which you know no, nobody else really. Had, it was pretty underwhelming. And then at shortstop, you had Gallegos. Um, you know, at, often shortstop, we've got a lot of low contact guys, are pretty average but good defense. You know, and then in the outfield, you got tons of tons of options in the outfield that you can place together. So, you know, I really just kind of I look at this free agency and think, okay, this is exactly what our league has. Um, not a lot up the middle, um, and then well, lots on the corners in terms of power. And and so pitching, like you've already mentioned, a couple pitchers um, for big contracts. You know, and I know we're going to get into who we liked and who we didn't, and I'll wait till you tee that up. But there's a there's a couple teams in here that I think really did well and then there's a sleeper pick uh, that I like so but that's that's how I saw free agency but in terms of pit that's who I was going after I was going after Bayron uh, and then I also picked up some power at first with some split options on lefty versus righty so we'll see how we it's always there. a good way to go at first base it's a perfect kind of position to platoon I think is a former person who is a person who once uh, had Barons on his team although very briefly before trading him um my advice on Barons would be don't cast him as your cleanup hitter. If you cast him as, like, your six hitter, you're probably in better shape. Like, keep your expectations relatively low. What he did with Seattle is probably about the high end of what he's going to be able to do for your team. Um, like, a little above, like, an average year for him, I think. But he's not a bad player and will certainly play solid defense at third more so than second. So... Um, he should be at least decent, and if you didn't pay a ton for him, and it doesn't look like you did, he should be fine. Um, so you pay, you ended up with him on a nine million dollar contract for three years. That should be functional. Hopefully, he doesn't. Hopefully, uh, there isn't too much decline in that third year, but it should be at least decent value for you. Um, so 
the real so the there were a couple quite a few like uh quite a few heavy contracts although nothing compared to like the like some of the mega deals given out in the past but uh Gilly let's start with you who do you think were some of the what do you think were some of the good contracts given out this free agency okay so I've got a number of them I've, I went through every team uh in the file and looked at who I like Ooh, wow. so I've got, uh, yeah I've got notes on every team but I'm not going to go every over every Show unless, up. unless you want to hear them but um the teams that I felt like really you know, really went out and got players that I thought would help their team. And even though they might have been expensive contracts, I really felt they went after them. So, like, um, the Padres went out after and got Harwell, and they got Miyamoto. Uh, Harwell absolutely was a good um, – I wasn't a big fan of their price. I didn't really like the price he paid, but um, I think it's going to suck when he goes into decline earlier than um, expected. But I think it was a good thing for him to get an additional arm. Um, the New York Yankees – also went out and got and spent a ton of money, um, but I don't know if it'll be enough. So they went out and got Allen. Uh, he looks decent as long as his ratings hold. Uh, he may, you know, he might just get enough. And then Mahone. So those two teams really went after free agents. Um, the Mets. Uh, I really like Wiley's in center field. I think I think he was a really good free agent sign. Um, I'm not going to knock any of your guys. You know, I called out Volpe last year and he turned out, or two years ago and he turned out decent. So you know, I'm not going to knock any more uh, map signs. So, um, although, although I will say this, if he was performing, like if he was, uh, he, there were some problems with Volpe. He was not a great on base guy, for example, and I did have to end up trading him before that contract is up. So, yeah, you, there was okay. something to be said for it. And know? then, my, yeah, and then the last uh, team that I liked, um, and Peter's going to smile when I say this, but. I like Worth. I think he's a sleeper, sleeper pick. I think he could be something special in Washington, someone you want to keep an eye on, especially if it gets to ABs. Um, you know, if you look how he's hit in the past with at-bats, especially in a bigger park or, a, you know, a park that's favorable to hitters, I think he's going to be pretty good there. So um, those are my, those are kind of my top free agents. Um, there are some things I didn't like about some of the free agents, but I'll let you guys get into some of the other guys you liked first. I thought that was a pretty good call by you on Worth. I think at this point in his career, Worth is more of a platoon player than a, than a serious starter. But he's a pretty good platoon player with Titmus. Um, the, he can probably uh, limit Titmus's play and, and sort of pick up against left-handed pitching and I think do a very good job against left-handed pitching at this point in his career still. And, and on a million-dollar contract, that's a really good price for a platoon player that my mind is like sort of the higher end of the platoon players that you can get. Uh, yeah. So uh, what's uh, Hick, what do you thought were some of the contracts you really liked? Well, I didn't go through every goddamn team, but you know, I found a couple I liked. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. Mine are sort of more sleepers. Um, first, I'm going to mention a name that everyone should know, which is Eric Wordsworth. I mean, he signed a $1 million deal for two years and that's with, you know, Pokey because he's not dumb. Um, I mean, the guy, you know, let me hold on, let me get my notes back up. Um, I mean, he hit 315 with an 850 OPS against righties last year, and I mean, that's yeah. I don't care how old you are, if you do something like that, something like that, you deserve to be a starter on any team. So I mean, you know, I thought that was a great deal for him, even though he's 39 years old. I mean, that's a low risk, high reward sort of deal, and Hokey knows what he's doing with that one. Uh, the other one I saw was uh, Jimmy Whistler. Uh, the guy hit you know 35 home runs last year, and that's the guy uh, Mike picked up over in Kansas City. You know, 35 homers, 103 RBI, 730 OPS, 
while batting below 200. I mean, the guy's got 67 contacts, so you don't expect him to hit for average. And uh, that was uh, $1.5 million for two years. So those were two really low-risk sort of contracts that could pay pretty big dividends for two teams that are pretty consistently contending. I know Mike's on his way up right now, and I know Hokies always just kind of there at the top of the crop. So I think those are two additions that, you know, nobody really pays much attention to, but they could, you know, reap pretty big merits on those teams. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think those are some very uh, I think those are some definitely some good names. I really did like uh, did really did like some of the uh, some of the signings that you guys already uh, already mentioned. Uh, briefly, I'm going to tor- tor- uh, toot my horn on one of my own signings, which is sort of a dick move, but hell, why not? Uh, I'm surprised Julian Ruiz only went for a million dollars. I mean, this is a guy who was a who's been a 50 steal guy for pretty much his entire career until last season. Yes, there's been a bit of decline, but I still think he can be a very, very good, uh, at least part-time player for a team. Uh, at least uh, could have been a leadoff hitter for a second division team. And the fact that I got him basically undisputably was really surprising to me. I think uh, people looked at those nine steals last year and maybe think he's done, but I don't think he's done by a long shot. Yeah, his OBP is not going to be great, but if he can – Get some of that lightning in a bottle with the steals. He's going to be a uh, he's going to be a very very uh, uh, a very very good player. I just say in general, uh, the value here lied with uh, lied with some of those uh, million dollar guys that you could get at sort of the sort of the end of free agency. Uh, really, at the top end, I think most people probably overpaid. Although that's bound to happen. Although I don't think there were any uh, absolutely egregious contracts. I'd say the best one, even though um, even though uh, I don't even know how he was able to sign this contract considering he was in debt at the time, but uh, it was probably James Allen to 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 Yankees in terms of the in terms of the top end signings. Now, uh, of the guys toward the top, his decline's probably been the most gentle uh, as opposed to Harwell. Harwell hasn't really put up the kind of numbers that you would expect from him. Um, yeah, Allen has a bit of has a bit of trouble with homers, but for the most part, his numbers have been a little more consistent than Harwell's. And um, I think a four year contract on him is fairly reasonable considering considering things. However, the Yankees are in a tough situation in terms of in in, in terms of their payroll right now. They're they're 13 million in the they're 13 million in the in the red. They're not projected to make anything, and more importantly, they still have going to throw like about 25 million at the end of the season down in their revenue sharing pool. So consider that they have to make 25 million dollars plus the 13 million just to get back into into the green this year. So it's a very risky contract in terms of that regard. But it's I think it's far better than the other pitching contract they gave out this off season. So I'll I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, so really quickly, I does New York say, have any money in the bank, or is that is that all they have? I don't like, know the situation there. I, I would actually like to like Andy's uh, like Andy's word on that as to whether or not they should have even been able to make that signing. You shouldn't really be able to sign people if you're thirteen million dollars in the hole, unless I unless they're going by something else here. And and if they have money in the bank, they should probably just throw it straight into their file at this point. Mm-hmm. So uh, we'll. We'll we'll figure that out. But that was a really interesting interesting thing. Um, but yeah, I think this is a free agency where where if you sit around and like sit around and got like those one million dollar guy one million dollar guys here and there, you probably ended up uh, coming out with a pretty good value at the end of free agency. But 
again, there always has to be some losers in free agency. Uh, Gilly, what were some signings that you didn't really understand? Um, I didn't like Vikra of San Francisco. I don't like him in the first contract. I thought he had some, some bad health issues. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's a guy San Francisco signed. I mean, look how much he, he put on. I tried to remember my notes here, but um, I don't know why I can't find him now, but um, I took notes down. I don't know why I didn't like him other than I think it, the contract uh, wasn't as good as I thought it should be and, and his health was, like, had some issues. Yep. Gustavo, uh, yeah, you're talking about? Vikra Gustavo. So he's yeah. he signed him for $3 million and he's got – I don't know if he's going to last, so we'll see what happens there. Um, I, one of my own signs, uh, Dormal, um, I'm thinking I may have overpaid a little bit on him. I don't know. Uh, we'll have to see what happens there. Um, that's that's one of the signs. I mean, he's a good pitcher. He's a decent. I think I have him at number four, but I may have overpaid for him um, considering he may not even be in the rotation in a year or two. So um, I, I found it funny. I think Milwaukee got stuck with some comp players. I think he was overreaching on a few of his comp players. Um, yeah, whole house was a really bold decision. He ended up having to trade him. But, yeah, that was a little bit uh, – I thought that was a bit ambitious. Yep, and then Colorado, I think, had one. Um, it was uh, Sheldon. I think he, he signed them for a three-year deal. Um, I'm not sure I like the length on the contract um, with what he was, what he is at right now. So I know that's something – he's getting up in the age where he's got him signed through 2055 at $8 million, So I don't know if he's going to hold on. I mean, I've seen worse contracts, obviously. This didn't seem like it was a – this, this year didn't seem like we had some of the bigger contracts that were, we knew were going to be, you know, terrible. But, you know, this – so I'm kind of grasping at straws here in terms of outright four signings. Yeah, I mean, there were a couple that didn't make sense to me, but I guess we'll get to that when we get to my, my part of it. Hick, what were some signings you didn't like? I mean, I, there were signings that I thought were too expensive, but, I mean, I could see merit in all of them. So, I mean – you know, if the, if a guy paid, you know, $24 million for a four-year deal, I mean, the guy's going to be productive for you. So, I mean, if you can afford to take on that amount of salary, you know, who are we to say it's a bad deal, you know? So, I mean, mm-hmm. everything I looked at as far as, like, the big contracts or the contracts for long years for older players, I mean, everything made sense according to, like, the team that they signed with. So, I can't really fault anyone for contracts that they signed guys to. And, I mean, even Gilly just now, I mean, the guys he was mentioning, it's just like it's not terrible contracts that are going to wreck teams. I mean, these are just, you know, opinions that people have that, you know, it's like, I think this could be a bad one, but, you know, there's no real way to know until you, you know, see how they produce. Yeah, I mean, to jump in here real quick, I'll give you another one that I had in my notes, Baltimore's Comstock. I mean, sure, it was only $2.5 million, but I don't think he, I don't know if he's going to hit with those ratings. So, I mean, it was another one I wrote down. Is, but he's at best a DH, and he doesn't hit his ratings that I can tell. So, um, I don't really see a lot. I mean, Hick, you just, you know, you just kind of, you know, and again, I we're kind of grasping at straws in terms of this this one. So, well, there were a couple that came to mind that one, I guess. <laughs> There were a couple that came to mind for me that were really bizarre. I think the first one that came to mind was Derijal. Um Now, I know it's only a one-year deal, but we're talking about twenty-two million dollars for a non-really impact closer. Granted, he's coming off a great year with Kansas City, but if we look back at his previous resume, all of it screams he's a pretty average middle reliever. Uh, like, not nothing great, like, nothing great really other than that. And for 
and I know the Dodgers have a ton of money to burn here, but realistically, um, realistically speaking, if you have that much payroll to go out, I say go out and try to find some of the bad contracts in the league and see if you can take them on, as opposed to just adding a guy for $22 million in free agency, giving away even a late pick and just not really helping your team at all by adding a reliever to a rebuilding team. I think – uh, he could have. If you were gonna, if you were willing to take on twenty-two million, I'd say go out, try to find people with bad contracts, see if you can take some of them off your hands and get some value in terms of picks and prospects that way. Uh, burning money for one year just because you can on a very mediocre reliever uh, on, on, is just—it's just completely—it's just pretty ridiculous in my mind. And I think the other contract that, that I had some trouble with was Mahone's. I know it wasn't super long, and it's only a two-year deal, but he took a pretty nasty fall last year in terms of ratings, and it showed in terms of his performance with Detroit. Detroit had a pretty good team around him, and he would, did not really produce. Uh, and he was uh, sort of the odd man out as, as uh, the playoffs are going along. Uh, as, he was sort of the odd man out in the Detroit rotation. Didn't even make it to that. It didn't even make it to the playoffs for that rotation, which wasn't exactly uh, one of the, which was a good rotation, but not not an incredible one by any means. And for the Yankees, who already in a bad financial situation, to give him seventeen million dollars just seems uh, doesn't seem like it's going to be very productive. I think the Yankees at this point need to consider uh, need to consider blowing things up. I don't think they really have the core anymore to compete. In that NL East, I know it's a, I know it isn't the greatest division, but I still think even with the additions of guys like Allen and Mahone, they're clearly behind, uh, they're clearly behind some of the other teams in the in the uh, in the AL East. So I would say, uh, I would say that this is uh, that that rather than sort of rebuilding and, and and starting over, I think they've just contributed to some of their further financial problems. I think it might be just a bit premature to give up on Mahone completely. I mean, if you look at his track record, I mean, he's only had one bad season since his second year in the league, and I mean, it was this year. I mean, it could be due to, you know, decline, but I, I don't think a, what is it, a three-point decline, it looks like, something like that, um, in, his, in his vitals, that, you know, that would correspond to a, a run and a one-point, what, six ERA difference. I don't think that would make that much of a difference. And, I mean, again, you look at his track record, You'd assume that he wouldn't fall off completely, but, I mean, I could be wrong on that one. Yeah, I didn't have as big a problem with Mahone just because it felt like it was just a two-year rent. You know, right. New York, New York's stuck in their division with three teams. Those three teams, that, you know, I feel bad for the fifth-place team in that AL East because they could probably win the, the NL West. So when we get to talking about teams, you know, New York's trying to compete, but you're right, they're not they're, – they're, probably the third best out of those three, and they're real close. So we'll see if Mahone gives them a, that edge to push them over that. You know, Mahone and Allen, when they went out and spent how much money? 40, almost $40 million. I, I just don't think the value you're going to get from him is worth it, especially considering the financial risk, you, the very risky financial situation that they are now in. Um, that, that I agree with 100%. Yeah. It, Paying that amount of money the guys they did is uh, – I wouldn't call it irresponsible, but it's not the most headstrong move I've seen as far as managing finances. And I, I do think he's planning to probably blow it up in the near future. Yeah, Can I call it irresponsible? Out. I want to call it irresponsible. Yeah, I mean, it'd be different if he had a lot of guys that only had one more year on their contract. But when I look, he's got big contracts that go two, three, four, five years. So 
we'll see what happens though. He's got a number of them that are only in one year, but you know, he's got some some cash built up here. So you you guys are right. Yeah, I mean, I've got uh, see, I I've always been care- I've tried to be careful since coming to New York like not to overload the team to contracts to a point where um to a point where I can't, like, I'm not financially solvent or I'm burning through money specifically. I want to make sure I at least break even every year. Um, but, you know, sometimes sometimes contracts don't work out, like with Sanoski's falling and having to cut him and eating a lot of money on that contract. But, you know, you just got to make sure that you're not too clogged up on payroll year after year and you have the flexibility to do things in the off season to, you know, whether it's trying to retool the team, whether it's blowing it up completely, whether it's adding people. Uh, having that financial flexibility is really, really important, even if you're in a huge market like New York. And uh, currently with this file, like, you know, the Yankees and the Mets, we we honestly make quite a more quite a bit more money than any other team. So it's still important to not, in that case, not to overload yourself with deals that you can't uh, find a way out of if you need to. So yeah, I, mean, I think sure. it's time to go on to the uh, go on to the major trades in the league. Um, there were quite a few big ones, although I was surprised considering some of the names I floated out there on the trade block that I wasn't involved in more of them. I just didn't find that people were willing to pay any sort of serious price. But there were quite a few impact players that moved. So we'll start out by talking about the first Atlanta-Texas deal. Um, this one was huge, and this moves a number of impact players to Texas who looks like Texas is trying to trying to build up something there uh because uh they've moved a lot of they moved a lot of stuff. They they picked up Brian Takarin, Stevie Brown, uh Reagan Utterback and some cash. But to do it they had to give up their first through third, Chuck McDonald, Kevin Woods and Ephraim Taron Cohn. Uh all three prospects with really high with really high, excuse me, uh, peak ratings that all seem fairly close to the major leagues. So they'd be in theory they'd be close to getting to the majors soon uh but maybe not the t- but doesn't but taking a look at them right now maybe not the kind of guys with killer vitals that you know would make an impact so is this just a matter of Warpriest trying to sell high and get some value on the some guys or did or is this really truly a big haul for Atlanta for those uh for those three prospects uh heck what do you think of this deal well, I mean, I think Atlanta had a lot to do with this because, I mean, it, there were, what, six trades, the huge trades looking at, and, I mean, they were involved in five of them, and yeah. you know, trading away all of their bigger players for prospects and stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, I feel like it was more of, you know, come and get our players, and Texas was more than happy to do so. Um, I think in the steal, they both really got what they were looking for. I mean, clearly Atlanta's not looking to keep these high payroll, older players that are going to be, you know, doing a lot of, to help the team. I mean, they're looking towards the future. So, I mean, this is one of those, you know, check back in five years sort of trades where, you know, you know I mean, if the three guys that, you know, Atlanta got, um, sorry, that the Rangers got, uh, if they play up to expectations, you know, they, they'll, um, I think it'll be a good deal. But, I mean, they uh, underperformed last year, so I don't know if they're all going to turn it around. So uh, I give the edge to Atlanta on that one, but only uh, a very slight one. And, I, it, again, I got to check back later with, with that many prospects and picks involved. Right. It, 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 there is a lot of volume going to Atlanta, but I would question a little bit the amount of quality. I don't. Looking at McDonald and Woods, both of them, neither of which really look like are going to be impact pitchers, despite the fact that they both have the peak ratings in the 90s. Woods' control has fallen well behind his overall, and the same can be said for McDonald, although 
as a reliever that's not as big of a deal, and I think there's still a chance that he could become something. Um, uh, but uh, but Taron Cohn certainly looks at least looks like he's on the path to be a decent, if not uh, decent, first baseman um, or, or designated hitter, uh, someone who could at least like hit the ball. And first through third picks, especially for a Texas team that wasn't great last year, is a lot. Um, Gilly, do you? I think that's the picks are more where this value lies than even some of the players. Gilly, uh, do you think that? Uh, do you think uh, Texas gave up too much for these three guys? Oh, okay. Where do I begin on this one? Um, <laughs> yeah, this is one of the deals that I didn't like at all. Uh, I thought it was a terrible deal for Texas. Um, I don't understand the deal. I think um, he's not anywhere near ready to compete against Oakland and Seattle. Um, I don't think he should be mortgaging his future, even though the future for those ones that are closer to being ready aren't as good. I think I have more concern with the picks that he gave up. I don't like the fact that he's mortgaged some of those picks and some of these prospects, especially if they turn out good for peak 28-year-olds that it really isn't going to suit him very, um, very well when he when he's losing to Oakland and Seattle. So I think if he waited, if this trade would have happened two years from now, um, or maybe even three years from now, I wouldn't have had a big problem with it. But I just think it's too soon for Texas to try to do this. I think he should have waited and, you know, I just have a big problem with the trade. Yeah, I mean, the the picks in my mind, I think, are the most damaging things to give up, like more so than more so than any of the prospects really involved. I think uh, Takarin's not a bad pitcher, but his, already, his rating's already dropped a little bit, which scares you. Um, Stevie Brown, we've had a lot of conversations about on this podcast, a shortstop that looks great but doesn't really – has never really produced like a 92 overall caliber player. And Utterback at this point is, I think he's just kind of a guy. I, I think more of a platoon player than anything, again, coming off that ratings drop, uh, this is a very, very risky move for Texas. I think these are the guys you bring in if you're really close to being able to compete. And I think Texas honestly is in the scenario where I don't think they can get by. It's very unlikely that they get by either Atlanta or, or get either uh, Oakland or Seattle. So you're really hoping for like a second wild card spot at that point. And I don't know if their combined deals, despite some of the great talent they brought in, uh, the best of which, uh, best of which is probably being Todd Keel, who 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 came who already showed up the year before, uh, like. I don't know if this talent is enough to really get them in a position where they're where they where they can lock up like a second wild card spot behind the division winner and the other team. So this is a big issue for them. I think uh, I think if he's trying to build Atlanta South down there and just trying to transplant, it, it seems like he's with some of the moves he made. He's trying to transplant a lot of that Atlanta team to um, to Texas, but Atlanta that Atlanta team struggled to compete in, a, in admittedly a tough division. And I think Texas might find itself in exactly the same position. Uh, so uh, interesting to see this move. I, I don't, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll send aside with Atlanta here. I don't think they got uh, as much back as it looks like on the surface, but it, I don't think the move makes a ton of sense for Texas, quite honestly. Uh, we'll move on to the deal between Florida and Colorado, Colorado, another team trying to shake things up. Um, uh, shake things up here. Moves there first and second for Florida's third and uh, an outfielder Manny Triana. 
who, despite like a 93 overall rating, I have never been particularly enamored with, and I have not been a fan of. I can I can tell you that. I think he's got. Uh, I, I think um, Triana has uh, with Triana's like you know borderline contact a lot of the time. Uh, he'll put up some big years, but the, for the most part, that production's been pretty middling for most of his career. And I'm not. And I view him as more of a, a, a very great platoon player than any sort of superstar. And uh, so not, I, I think that makes my feelings on this trade already pretty clear. But, uh, Hick, what do you think of this deal? I think uh, Hokie won this one pretty hands down. Um, I mean, if you look at his outfield options, I mean, even before this trade, I mean, sorry, even after this trade, he's still got four outfielders that can start for pretty much any team. So, I mean, it's not like he's struggling to field a team out there. And now he's getting a first and second round pick to add to his supply, I think, and that really helps. I think Colorado needs to make a lot more progress with acquiring big players if they want to compete in the next couple of years, which is look like uh, what they want to be doing right now. Um, so I think that in, I mean, they, Colorado really needs to like get things going, uh, making the playoffs probably this year for sure. And then next year to make this deal, you know, worthwhile. Uh, so Gilly, do, do you, uh, do you feel about the same way about this deal or do you like Triana more than we do? No, I don't like Triana. I don't like this deal either. Um, if, if he's going to move those picks, he should have been moving them for pitching. I really don't think he should have, like Hicks said, gone after another outfielder. Um, if you look at his pitching, it's nothing to you know call home about. So if he wants to compete, he's going to have to get some better pitching. I'd rather have seen him do this for pitching. Um, again, Trayon is not the, not the answer. I know he offered me that first as part of a deal for uh, Nick Lawrence, who I bandied about like trading throughout most of the offseason. I think You'll that's the kind him. of guy who would have helped him a lot more. Um, although I don't think I would have dealt Lawrence for this first and the second like Hokie did for Triana. So uh, certainly not if I would be giving back my third. So um, it's it's going to be – it would have taken a lower cost to get him. This isn't an absurd price to play for Triana in general if you're a fan of him as a player. And I agree with uh, Kad, Kad's, uh, um, uh, Kad's statement that this is sort of the perfect guy to throw into Colorado that you probably get the most value from there. And though I don't necessarily think that's wrong, I still think it's too high of a price to pay. Those are still, still two pretty solid picks, and I don't think um, I don't think that that's the best uh, value for them, quite honestly. So we'll move on to San Diego trading with Atlanta. Uh, Decker seems intent on having the worst farm system in the league, as rated by Czar Andy and uh, the baseball czar prospectus or whatever he's doing on the blog, which is great articles, Andy. I'm not criticizing the articles. Those are awesome. But trading his first, uh, trading his second, he's third, listening. fourth, and sixth pick. Yeah, I know he's listening. That's why I'm trolling him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, troll the uh, czar. See how that works out for you. Yeah, when 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 I'm in last place, when I'm in last place, it's like I don't know what happened to your team this year. How could they be 20 games under 500 two days? Andy the says. Season? Andy says you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess I'll continue this podcast before before we fill out my termination papers. Um, so second, third, fourth, and sixth pick go to go to the Braves, collecting more picks in exchange for Donnie Erickson. Um, the Padres have, have been toward the top of that division. Uh, they've made some moves, uh, bringing in a guy like Harwell, and now also bringing in Donnie Erickson to try to solidify that to, to solidify that division crown. Uh, Erickson has not been an elite player since coming into the like not been an elite player 
serious home run issues. Uh, I don't understand this move uh, in the least. Um, Gilly, what do you think of this? Actually, I like the move. I like the move for San Diego. Um, I, unlike the Florida-Colorado trade, I actually think it makes sense for Padres State and they're trying to compete and they wanted to add a pitcher to their staff. Now, I think what you're having problems with is the actual underwhelming performance that he's had. Will San Diego's park have an impact? So um, I think that may be what Decker's banking on. But really, I didn't have a problem with the move. He has a good fastball. Um, we'll see how he goes and how it works out. But, you know, I, don't, I didn't have as big a problem with this as you might have. I thought it was a decent move for the Padres, especially the timing of it made sense to me. Right. I, uh, I mean, I don't I agree with Gilly on this one. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just that you think Erickson's actually good? I think he's going to help San Diego a lot more than he would have been, than he's being hurt by losing his draft picks. Because, I mean, because, I mean, he's got absolutely nothing going on the farm, and that's by design. I mean, he knows that he is a win now and screw the farm because, you know, if that's a strategy that works for him, who are we to question that? So, I mean, picking up a guy like that who pitches pretty well. I mean, I mean, it's not, you know, by any stretch of the imagination, imagination is he a top-of-the-rotation kind of pitcher. But, I mean, he's a good pitcher with good battles, and, you know, you see if he can turn around in a different city. And, you know, I think it's worthwhile to make that trade. Uh, I, quite frankly, I just don't know if we're looking at the same pitcher as part of the problem here. Now, er, now Erickson has been – for the most part, lit up for most of his career. He's got a career area of 473. Um, his his most consistent year was probably last season, at this point last season, but even then he gave up almost 30 home runs in, a, in what, 150 innings? This is exactly the kind of uh, pitcher that I try to avoid at all costs. Yeah, he's got a decent control of movement vitals and that 90 power, which is really tempting. But he's he's the kind of pitcher that, like, in real baseball, I wouldn't necessarily have a problem with, but he's exactly the guy in Mogul that you avoid. Avoid, avoid, avoid. And uh, I, I just don't I, – I just don't – I just do not like this move at all. Yeah, he's probably – San Diego might be the best place for him to perform, but still the best, uh, the best case scenario for him in my mind, four and a half ERA, like toward the back end of a rotation, and that's not worth what he gave up. All right, well, let's mark the tape. I think I think he'll get under four. We'll see what happens in San Diego. If he has an if he has an ERA under four, I will eat my Hawaiian shirt. The one you're wearing, or one you're not wearing? A Hawaiian shirt. It's not important which Hawaiian shirt for the purposes <laughs> of this, but but I will eat a Hawaiian shirt, an adult-sized Hawaiian shirt. All right. So there we have it, and this is recorded, so it's it's in here forever. Right. Okay. Now, now I should have said that I, I should have said that so Gilly to some terms on this. Can I get maybe some mogul cash? If you're gonna throw, if you're gonna, <laughs> yeah, if you're gonna be I'm making bets with, uh, if you're gonna be making bets with Peter, might as well. But yeah, the, it's the only trade Peter will be able to make with people in this league. You know, I don't yeah. know why people keep betting against me. I won the last bet when I bet Harbaugh would go to Michigan. So you know, we'll see, Peter. I'm gonna take his money. All right. Well, to continue now, to, now it's time to continue the Atlanta, Texas Chronicles. Uh, Atlanta now getting Dave Taylor, Chuck Pinnock, uh, Green, and Harbin to kind of even out salaries here in the fourth, fifth, and sixth pick for Jeremiah Misla and Max Combs. Uh, 
do you guys have any different feelings about this trade than the previous uh, uh, than the previous adventure with Atlanta? Uh, I felt like this one was worse, but it's the same story, different verse. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe this is why uh, Stang and I rarely get in on trades because, um, you know, with this one with Texas, man, I just I think he got a lot for what he gave Texas, and so um, you know, I don't know. I, I don't like this trade at all. So. Only because Texas is too early. I think we've all talked about Texas, um, you know, two, at least two years away, the timing of stuff like this. So I think it's another bad trade. Yeah. Uh, the, the interesting thing is the best player he gave up, like, period, in any of those deals was Chuck Pinnock, who went in this deal, uh, in my mind. Pinnock actually looks like he's got a lot of talent as an outfielder and could really turn into something – uh, yeah. fairly good, maybe not a superstar, but a very good player down the road. Uh, what do you think of this, uh, Tick? Yeah, Pinnock is the one guy in any of those deals that I think is the one that's going to be the biggest impact player. I mean, he's one of those guys that's going to have 90-plus contact and I, and that's one of those guys that's a really good sort of two-hitter, and he's going to have the at least above-average defense to be a very productive hitter. So I, I like Pinnock the best out of any of the players that he uh, that he grabbed. I think it's funny that you know Warpriest said he wants to club everybody to death this year. So that's you know that's nice to hear from a GM in the league. Um, but yeah, I mean the, it's a continuation of the first trade. I mean it's the same story, different verse. Like I think that's exactly verbatim what uh, what Gilly just is, what just said. Um, but I mean I, again, we're not going to the repercussions of this until further down. All right, um, I'm going to save the pit trade for last so we can put Gilly on the spot at the end. But. This one is a really interesting move to move a pitcher in his prime, probably the biggest deal that happened, and boy, did it cost a lot. Uh, Atlanta gives up their own first-round pick in this deal, along with Greg Jasinski, in exchange for Tony Beard, Eric Wetzel, Eric Thomas, Max McWicken, and San Francisco's first, second, and fourth-round pick. Wow. That is a lot to give up for, for anyone uh, especially for uh, uh, for just one player. Now, Jasinski has put up some – Jasinski, uh, although I criticized him a bit when, when the draft happened, he's been good at the top of that Atlanta rotation. I'd hesitate to say great, but certainly very – certainly solid and still only 25 years old. But this is a lot of very good-looking prospects to move. Um, uh, Gilly, what did you think of this deal? Uh, yeah, that cost him a lot, uh, but I think it's the right move for San Francisco. Um, he gets an anchor in his um, in his pitching staff that I think he can let you know lean on for years to come. But it did co- it cost him a ton, and um, you know if anybody anybody's farm system can handle that, I mean San Francisco's got quite a bit in the in the farm system from from what I remember. I'm not looking at it right now, but um, I thought he had a pretty good deep farm at one point. So He did. Um, it's not as deep as it was, that's for sure. Well, yeah, especially after this trade. It's definitely not as deep yeah. as it once was. But, um, yeah, Jasinski was actually one of the guys um, Bang and I were – I was trying to acquire, and I can tell you this, and I don't know if I'm giving away too much, but um, I was going to give a lot less than I feel like he got from um, San Francisco. So, I just couldn't move one of my franchise outfielders for it. So I think he overpaid a little bit, uh, but, again, I think it's the right move for San Francisco. I think he's in a good position to compete now and and close to, you know, if it's not now, it'll be next year. But uh, it was a lot to give up. I mean, I don't know if I could have pulled that trade, uh, especially with Beard there being so close. So kudos for 
pulling that off for to go, but I don't know if it would have. Uh, I don't know if you've overpaid, but we'll see. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Hick? Uh, once again, I'm going to get a agree agree with my co-host here with uh, with Gilly. Um, I think uh, based on things I was hearing and talking to certain people about this deal, because I was by no means going to be involved in this deal because I just don't have the farm to put it together. So I was, you know, testing the water to see kind of what his asking price was going to be. And based on that, I think I'm not really surprised by the deal because I kind of saw what the going rate was going to be for people that weren't going to pay enough to get him. So I think he got pretty much what he was going to get. Uh, so, I mean, I mean, return isn't going to cripple Vert by any stretch of the imagination. I mean, he's still going to have, you know, a, a better farm than uh, San Diego. But, you know, it's, you know, I, I think it's a pretty – uh, un- unbalanced deal, but it's a deal that's definitely going to help uh, San Francisco a lot more than it's going to hurt them. Uh, this is the kind of move that I think he may. I think uh, this is Vert saying, uh, signaling to the league that he sees blood in the water and he thinks he can take out San Diego and make the playoffs. I don't yeah, necessarily I got know that if that's too. true. Yeah, I, I don't necessarily know if that's true. I don't think Vert has the really has a great offense yet. For example, there's not a ton of power in that lineup. Uh, but his pitching staff has sort of come together. And although I don't love I, I don't love all the guys in it, um, I probably like Jasinski a little less than a lot of people in the league do. Um, the home run rate's a bit higher than I would want from an elite pitcher, and the fact that he's a the fly ball pitcher does hurt him a bit in my mind, but he's still very good. I, I don't know if I would have given up this return for him, but uh, it's not it, like trading for a 25 year old uh, ace with no signs of decline yet. Isn't a bad idea. Um, usually it, it, this is probably about as close to you will see as someone overpaying for an ace pitcher, but how many guys like Jasinski pop on the open market? Realistically, I would say it's, I would say it's quite a bit more than uh, than Peter ended up giving up for Kataveko, who's probably a, who in my mind is a better pitcher than uh, than Jasinski is. Uh, but we'll see how this ends up working out for them. I think Vert, though, to give up this kind of value, he's got to be thinking that he can take out he could take out the Padres this year, and I don't think that. Admittedly, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, at the same time, he might not be aiming for specifically this year. I mean, it's a trade that doesn't scream, I need to win this year. You know, it's a trade that's, you know, a, like you said, it's a mid-20s pitcher. I mean, he's not like he's 35. So I think he's gambling on the fact that San Diego is going to inevitably start losing some of their talent because they have no farm system. So I, I think he's banking on that and then kind of stepping into that role atop the uh, NLS there. I mean, though, I think – I think he may have viewed Jasinski as like the type of player that you need to just go get when, when he comes out into the market. And there's something to be said for that. But sure. honestly, though, if you waited a year, um, if you waited a year, guys like Beard and Thomas could have been ready for his major league team and uh, other guys and other guys like that. And I think he still could have gotten pitching out next year if he really needed to. Um, I don't know Wait. if I would have made this move if I were, if I were vertigo, but I'm not going to criticize it too heavily. I haven't seen him typing anything in the uh, in the group. I mean, he's he's in there somewhere. I see him. So it'd be nice if we could, you know, get his take on that to see what's motivating that little motor in his head. Yeah, I, I think I think this it has to mean in his mind that he wants to take out uh, that that he thinks he can go after San Diego specifically this year. But we'll end up we'll see. Um, 
what uh, so I think the final move that we'll talk about is Pittsburgh's big move with Atlanta uh, taking on uh, Chris Duggar um, Chris Duggar only has a year left but he's got a gigantic ass contract paying him 38 million um, uh, get, ends up moving the contract to Paul Devine, who at this point has sort of outlived his usefulness, has to give up a decent prospect and a fourth-round pick. A, a decent prospect now it's Worrell and a fourth-round pick. But Duggar, um, despite uh, d- despite the debate that we had on the la- on, on previous podcasts about whether he could transition to being a very good pit, a very good starting pitcher, I feel like I've clearly won this round because he has been just fine. It hasn't really missed too much of a beat since going into the Atlanta rotation. I think he's been more valuable there than he was as the closer in Seattle. Uh, kept his home runs relatively low for a, and and did a good job despite not a great control rating. So he is 34 years old, but hasn't really declined in terms of rating all that severely yet. Uh, my, I think this is the, I think this is an interesting. Uh, he, he was sort of one of the first guys Atlanta had to dump, and I think. Uh, I think uh, still looks like he has a lot left in the tank, Hick. Uh, do you think that uh, this is a smart move for Pittsburgh? I do. Um, I mean, if you look at his, you know, if you click negotiate on his player tab, you know, he's making, you know, $38 million or whatever he's making. But, I mean, you look at that and his next year, he's looking for, you know, you know, $12 million for five years. Obviously, you'd never offer a guy like this five years. But, I mean, that number is going to go way down. And I feel like with the production that he puts up, he could assign him to maybe like a 15 for three or something like that sort of deal, um, which I don't know if it would be in his game plan, but I mean, I feel like that could be a much more reasonable sort of contract. So this might be uh, more looking towards that point and, you know, buying low on a guy who's got a huge contract. So I, I do yeah. like that. I think this is, um, if you can take on this sort of contract, I couldn't, or else I might've been in the realm for Duggar, who I've always been a big fan of. Uh, but I also had like sort of a full rotation and no one I particularly wanted to bump out. Uh, so it, this isn't a bad move at all in my mind for, for Gilly. Uh, I think the prospects he gave up, uh, like Worrell, it's fine, but he's pretty average. He's not, he's not anything yeah, you're going to really hurt yourself by losing. Right. Moving that, moving that awful divine contract is actually not bad considering he's moving close to 22 million, uh, just by taking on 38, uh, and taking on a pitcher who, if we look at adding a net of like $16 million to your payroll, is absolutely worth that benefit in my mind for the cost I of agree. paying. I think Duggar's a very good player. Um, Gilly, I'm assuming you thought along these same lines when you were making the trade that you just thought it was worth that you just thought you were getting an impact player at a, at, at a not-impact player price? Yeah, I mean, you guys just broke it down better than I could probably say. You guys are reading my mind. Um, it was the right time. You know, if I'm trying to compete this year, I needed somebody like Duggar that I could get a year and then have some options whether, okay, do I negotiate or do I comp him? You know, because obviously he's not a bad player, potentially a comp player, as long as he doesn't severely decline. So, you know, you guys said it. I don't know if I need to dwell on it, but absolutely. I wasn't a huge fan of Warrell. Uh, Paul Devine, I was glad to see get off my roster. I mean, he was he was 11 million until mm-hmm. 2054. So, um, and then a fourth yeah. round pick. So, um, this week. And so, uh, yeah, I I was happy to move him. I, I'm interested to see uh, how well Duggar plays in Pittsburgh, and I needed somebody um, at the top of my rotation that could give me some good quality innings. So, and he's done that. Yeah, um, it's going to be uh, to be here. 
so uh, Vertigo's response on the uh, Jasinski uh, on the Jasinski thing: the peaks are shinier than the talent on the prospects that I gave up. Uh, he thinks that he's selling high on some of these prospects here. Uh, I guess there's the logic in that regard in the trade. Thank you for finally chiming in, Vertigo. That so who was the special That's right. Hick, who was the special guest in the background while you were on the phone? Well, well, uh, just a second ago. Uh, that was one of my roommates. Hmm. Not Peter. So, uh, yeah, not Peter, thank God. Um, so I think it's now time to go to the part of the season preview that I both look forward to and dread the most because it's a ton of talking uh, once and a lot of things, but... It is important, and that is the we're going to break down team by team, division by division, and go through it, see what, what each division is going to be like. Uh, we'll start out with the AL East. Um, we'll start out with you, Gilly, um, and, your, and your powerful preparation so far through this. Uh, this has really been Tampa's division the last few years, although this is the kind of division where, uh, where everyone is sort of at least decent, but none of the teams are really great or elite. So it could go a number of ways. Um, we saw Baltimore sneak into the second wild card spot and Tampa win the division. Uh, what do we think will happen uh, this year, uh, Gilly? Yeah, this one's a tough one. Like I said earlier, um, I feel bad for the fifth-place team in this league because, honestly, they could probably win the NL West. Um, it's the most toughest division, the most competition. Um, the top three teams could all be interchangeable. Uh, they could, as long you know, if they make some big moves to acquire some necessary pieces, um, you know, you could even see, even though New York Yankees have already spent beyond maybe what their means can handle, um, they could even get in the picture. You know, I've got Baltimore taking this league um, with Tampa second and then the Yankees third. Um, but, you know, depending on an injury here, an injury there, that, that whole um, landscape could shift. So, you know, that's the way I see it. I'm kind of maybe going out on a limb with Baltimore, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. Um, the, so how do you, so do we – now, it's interesting to see with Toronto still with some top names there. Do we think that they've really that, – that that their days of competing for division titles are really behind them with the team they have now? Yeah, I think so. I mean, they're, they're farthest in a way. They're probably one of the worst teams in this league – or not in this league, but in that division, sorry. So, yeah, I, I think they, they're – and that's my opinion. But they've got a decent farm, so we'll see. All right. Uh, so what – so uh, I guess to, to go a little bit more detail here, uh, what do you think uh, for each of these teams – I think they all sort of have a flaw. What would you do – what do you think uh, each of these teams would need to do to really push themselves over the top and give themselves a real edge here, uh, Gilly? Hmm. I didn't get into too much detail here, so I'm gonna to have to look at it a little closer. Um, well, I can I can tell you at least one of them. I think uh, I think that the, that the team that I see that I think it's been close and it's been like knocking on the door is Boston, and I think uh, they clearly have something in the water there, at least with the pitching, because I think the top three there with Mark Snesser and Diazo is pretty good, and Gomez is has been a very solid back end starting pitcher uh, with with good vitals. The issue is just the offense there and they really need a bat in there to, to, to shake things up. I think, uh, you know, a guy adding a guy like Preston Donald is interesting, but, and probably an upgrade over, oh, I would say definitely an upgrade over Matt Webster, but not the kind of guy who's going to push this lineup over the top. I think, 
they might still have a little bit of money to spend, uh, uh, a little bit of money to spend here. I'd say go out if it were Boston and get an impact pack because you could take this division if you did that. Uh, any any advice you want to give to a team in this league, uh, in this division, Gilly? No, I mean, you just said it. I think you hit the nail on the head, Boston. If they had to go out and get another bat, um, they've got the pitching for it. Um, you know, I did look at Baltimore's um, pitching a little bit, and I wouldn't say Baltimore has prob- – you know, I'd say they probably are a little weaker on pitching, um, even, even though they've got some decent middle-of-the-road guys. I think it's, it's – I don't really see someone in there that can stand out as a – you know, as a – as one of your anchors, I think their back half of the rotation is a little soft. Um, if that's if they're gonna, depending on who they're gonna start, I don't know if they're gonna start Resnick at long relief or not. But um, you know, I would maybe say Baltimore. They got a lot of cash. I mean, they've got uh, 67 million dollars sitting there, so they could potentially go out and get an ace. Um, you know, having having them been one of the teams that have went out and got Chizinski may have made more sense for Baltimore than than uh, you know in um, San Francisco, but um, I yeah, don't maybe. know if they had the, I don't know if they had the ammo to go out and do that. Honestly, uh, if they, I don't think they had the prospects in the system, although Jamie white would have been a good guy to build, build a team around one of the last guys I drafted before I left Baltimore. Um, I'd say yeah. you're right with, you're right in terms of the um, pitching staff that like they don't have an ace. Earl Williams was that guy, but I think he's aged a bit and he's not quite there anymore. And although like Whitewood, Sutherland, and and Williams could probably be a decent start to the rotation, you're not burning anything down there. And I think they're behind in the in terms of the rotation that puts them probably behind Boston, uh, definitely behind Tampa Bay, and I'd argue even behind Toronto in terms of their pitching staff. So. Although Toronto didn't have a great year last year, I think on talent that they still have some really good arms there. So we'll see what we'll see what happens with that. Hick, how do you think this division's going to shake out? I mean, I can't really add a whole lot more than you guys did. I did not have a whole lot of time to scout all the teams earlier because I worked and then I fell asleep and then I got back up and started, you know, scouting. So uh, I don't have a whole much I can add, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, I'd say I, I just disagree with uh, with Baltimore being the favorite there. I do like quite a few things about that Baltimore team, uh, not the least of which are some of the players that are still holdovers from my administration there. But I think Tampa Bay is the closest to a complete team in that division, uh, like especially with their pitching staff. And I think they probably have a very solid middle of the order with uh, – with Brett Flory and uh, with Brett Flory, Jay Avery, uh, Brian Bent, and uh, I think Mariani is really about to step up and show people how good he is. I was a fan of him when he got drafted, so uh, I he had a pretty solid year last year, but I think he can be even better. I'd say behind that, we're really talking about Baltimore, Boston, Toronto, in my mind, being like all pretty close to one another. And I don't think New York Yankee, the Yankees team is probably the worst of the teams in there and doesn't really match up to the ratings. But I'd say Tampa Bay is probably the favorite to win that division, going to win that division by, I don't know, five games or so. And then Baltimore, Boston, Toronto are all going to be in a mix for a potential, uh, a potential wild card spot behind uh, whoever wins the – whoever uh, finishes second in the AOS. So we'll look at it that way. Uh, in the American League, uh, in the American League Central, we had Detroit really being dominant. Uh, Chicago competing, the White Sox really stepping up, competing for a wild card, 
and then Cleveland, Kansas City, and Minnesota all being sort of in various states of rebuilding. Uh, Minnesota with the new GM there, Rumble. Uh, uh, the, we talked about, I talked about how it was very important to get some player turnover in there. Hasn't really made a big move yet. We still see guys like Serato, Hayahashi, and Goli in their rotation still. Hasn't really found a trade that he's liked for them. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, interesting to see who he moves and when he moves them. I think that might change this. Uh, that that might change the division quite a bit. Um, uh, but I, I install Detroit as the as the easy favorite here. Uh, uh, what do you think, Kelly? Um, I like Chicago. Detroit I got as the number two team. I like Chicago because I feel like it's a little bit of a sleeper team. This is one of the harder divisions for me to get a read on. Um, you know, I will say though that Chicago, even though I've got them, I think maybe to your what you're thinking along the lines here, G, is, you know, um, they've got some players that are aging with some health issues. You know, Volpe is 59 health, Woodcock 69, Gonzalez is 69. So, you know, even though they can they can play now, but if, if they get any trouble along the way, that leaves an opportunity for Detroit or Minnesota to come in and kind of fill that gap. So, you know, even though I mentioned Chicago, um, do with the pitching, you know, I like their pitching staff. So even though I mentioned them right now, as I feel like, maybe a game or two, maybe three or four games ahead of Detroit, I could easily see that coming apart due to health concerns or age of players. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it. Um, they've got a lot in their farm system too, but not a lot, um, well, a lot of depth. I'm not sure a lot of quality. So that's the kind of the way I see Chicago. And then um, Detroit obviously is right there as, as well. Um, they've got some uh, good bats. So um, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, but so far, I like the White Sox uh, by a few games. All right. Uh, so what do you think of uh, – uh, so, Hick, what do you think of this division? I think uh, you guys have that one pretty much hit on the head. I mean, there's not a whole lot of, you know, superpower teams in that division. I mean, you've got, you know, the couple at the top, I think Chicago and Detroit, and then you've got Minnesota kind of there. Uh, Kansas City, like I mentioned earlier, is on the way up, and then Cleveland is in full rebuild mode right now, which I can empathize with because that's what Cleveland does. Um, but, uh, no, I think you guys pretty much have that one right. Um, I didn't notice the, the health issues that you just brought up, Gilly, so that's something that could definitely be uh, an issue for them coming up uh, this year and going into next year with guys that could be you know, falling off and just not being able to perform at all. Yeah, I've had some conversations about JHC uh, with his team and some of the issues of issues that I think he needs to fix to really put this team over the top. Uh, I, I disagree with Gilly. I think Detroit wins this division by at least 10 games. I, I think really? Chicago has some good things to like about them. Yeah, um, but the real thing that sets them apart is, although both teams have pretty solid pitching staffs, I like Chicago's pitching staff quite a bit. The big issue is the offense. Like, if we can, if we, if we can look carefully, Detroit's got three very, very elite hitters in the middle of that lineup between Purdy, between Ando, Cotto, and between Ron Austin. And if we look at Chicago, the middle of their order just does not compare. Uh, Volpe, uh, Volpe has, some, has some strengths, but again, if we're comparing him to those three guys in the middle, uh, in the middle he's not that kind of player. You've got Phil Rankin, who's been 
who's been almost a total zero compared to first base, probably a good platoon guy, but puts up like a very empty, like, you know, 25 to 30 homers in his first two seasons there. Like Reggie Horton might be able to help them, but he doesn't look like a superstar. Um, and he's got some guys in that lineup that really struggle just producing uh, with really struggle in terms of just, in terms of just production, like Abstin, um, the Abstin, uh, Winall, and Rankin are giving you almost nothing with the bat, and I don't know where he makes that up. Uh, Woodcock's a very solid player, but I think those numbers, especially those home run numbers, are coming down once you leave Chicago. Uh, excuse me, once you leave Colorado. So even so, like Woodcock is probably the most solid hitter he has in the middle of that lineup, and he's well behind at least three hitters in that Detroit lineup. So. I think that in and of itself is going to separate uh, Detroit clearly from Chicago, and I think they're going to leave them completely in the dust. Chicago has a decent chance for a wild card, especially with that rotation, and I put them up pretty solidly against either Baltimore, Boston, or Toronto, but uh, in terms of this division, it's, it, it's not going to happen for them. Yeah, I mean, everything you just mentioned makes sense. I mean, I am looking at Chicago's pitching rotation. I've got um, you got Panter at the top, which is a former guy of mine, which is still popping around, which is nice to see. Um, then you got guys that, you know, you, you recognize their names and you know they're, you know, good pitchers. So, I mean, you, you feel like they have the pitching clout to, to match up with their teams. But, you know, you mentioned their offense might not be able to measure up, especially in the middle, like, you know, with those, you know, three, four, five, six hitters that, you know, you need to, you know, really bolster your offensive attack. Hmm. Yeah, it, it, I do like a lot of those names there. Gonzalez is pretty interesting, although he's not the kind of defender I like at shortstop. He certainly, he certainly gives you some improved hitting, but just in terms of offense, like Detroit and Chicago are just not comparable, uh, and I think that that will set them apart. Uh, I'll move on to the AL West. Um, this has been Oakland and Seattle, a battle between Oakland and Seattle. I will not hesitate to say that they are the two best teams in the file, I think by a pretty significant margin over anyone else they both we both broke them down a little bit um both of you guys seem to lean that seattle was the better team i'm guessing you guys will both pick seattle to win this division yes yep. okay um i'll probably take seattle by a game but it's gonna be close um i think they're probably a little bit more complete although i think oakland has started to show like some of their, I think some of Oakland's top end players are really, really good. And I think with a little more depth in the back of that rotation, with a little bit better of a bullpen, with maybe switching out Clint Parker at third base, although I don't think he's, I think he can be at least like a decent player there. Uh, you could really, like, this could go Oakland's way fairly easily. Now, in terms of the back end of that division, do we think uh, Houston, uh, Los Angeles, or Texas can really make a, uh, can really make a run at a wild card spot. I think Texas is the only one that could maybe, um, you know, based on what you guys were saying earlier, you know, Texas is really going all in with trying to win this year. And I mean, you look at the guys that they have on the roster now, you know, they they are a team that can compete, you know, maybe compete for a wild card, but I mean, it's going to be, you know, an echo battle. I mean, it's a a team that I inherited, but I mean, Oakland's, you know, is a team that you got to play, you know, 19 times. Seattle, you got to play 19 times. I mean, if you, put that up against any team. I mean, I don't care if you're projected to win 95 games in any other division. If you put them against those two teams, you're going to win 85 instead. So I feel like that could really hurt them. Um, uh, I'm not going to be surprising Harold by saying I don't think he his team has a chance. Um, 
and then Houston and I would say the same thing. But uh, they're you know they're not terrible. So I mean it's you know it's not a, as completely just one two and then three four five as everybody might think. I mean there's not just three teams that are going to lose a hundred games. You know there's talent on the teams. It's just they're not there yet. Right. Um, what do you think? Uh, what do you think, Gilly? Uh, I think Texas, you know, if they can't compete for that wild card, they just spent a bunch of money for no good reason. Um, you know, I think they can, but they're going to have to hit their way there because um, I really don't see their pitching. I don't see much in their pitching in any way, uh, even though they've tried to acquire a couple play, you know, a couple pitchers. We'll see if they can perform in Texas, but they're going to win it through bats, you know, and that's about the only way they can, if they want to compete for that second wild card spot, um, they have the opportunity um, but, you know, Houston, again, isn't ready. Uh, and then, obviously, um, the Angels are a long ways off. You know, they're building their farm system, which is good. So, you know, I think we covered Seattle and Oakland quite a bit. So I don't know how much you want to go over that again. But, uh, you know, they're very Yeah, close. I, think we, I, mean, I think we covered those pretty clearly. I, I think I'll yeah. give my thoughts on, on Houston and Texas a little bit. I, I do like a lot of the hitters that are down there in Texas. Um, you know, Mark Egg is, is – Pretty solid hitter for a catcher. Uh, Todd Keel is very good. Um, maybe uh, Steve Palmer, although I don't think he's an elite hitter, is probably at least decent for a third baseman. And I think they have some. I think they have some some decent pieces to build around. But I think you alluded to this pretty strongly, Gilly. I don't think the pitching staff is there. And I, although I don't think any of them really bad in and of themselves. I mean. But if we look at it, Lamdani hasn't really performed up uh, performed up to any of his vitals since it, in Texas. Has really struggled. Mike Webb is okay uh, and probably a decent pitcher. McFadden's not bad, and neither is Takarin. But he doesn't really have an ace there solidly. Takarin's probably the best pitcher he has there, but he's coming off a pretty nasty year, and I don't know if moving to that Texas ballpark is really going to help him. I honestly yeah, I think, think I think he's going to yeah. up fifty home runs. Yeah, I honestly think that uh, that Houston may have been the team that could have added some people and really made this closer because they've got a superstar now in Frost. They've got a pretty good catcher in Kevin Rourke. I think Nick Williams is a tremendous asset as a second baseman. I think one of the better uh, uh, one of the better second basemen. Although although with some defensive issues, maybe you can move him to third. But I think he has the flexibility to do something like that. Uh, has some decent. Uh, pieces to put together a lineup. Tyreman's going to be close very soon. Steven Vena can probably at least give you some, uh, can give you some solid production at you know, catcher or first base, or depending on what you do with him, or use him as trade bait to pick up something else. But I think their big issue is they just don't have anything on the pitching side of the ball. Um, uh, I think uh, Rin, is, Rin is completely miscast as an ace, I think, uh, although I think Brock Smith's put up some decent numbers, but I don't know how much longer that's going to last. Uh, just on the pitching side, the cupboard appears to be pretty bare, uh, pretty bare over there. So I think that that'll keep them from uh, doing, from really doing all that much until maybe a Jason Howland or someone like that comes up. But even then, I think he's probably more of a decent starter than a great one. Texas has an okay chance here, and and although they have flaws, so do the other non wild card teams, except for the Oakland Seattle loser in my mind. But I wouldn't keep, but I'd put them their chances probably behind. Um, probably behind uh, Chicago and, and definitely behind the three East teams I already mentioned. So uh, 
so it's it's going to be an uphill battle. Not impossible, but I'd say pretty unlikely if this is if, if uh, unless Warpriest has a couple other moves up his sleeve. Uh, I think we'll move on to the National League and the National League East. Um, this is going to be a very interesting year because I think I took a, I think I took a step back. Um, I think I, the New York probably took a step back this year trying to uh, trying to deal with uh, trying to deal with some of the issues of uh, teams aging. But Atlanta has also rebuilt and sort of taken themselves to some extent out of this race, although they still have some talent there. And probably won't be an awful team by any means. And Philadelphia is still, although they still have some names from the past there, probably still in the state of rebuilding, although with some of the young pitching coming up, maybe we can see a little bit more from them in the next couple of years. But it's probably a three-horse race between myself, Washington, and Florida, and I'm interested to see how that's going to shake out. Uh, Hick, where would, you, uh, where would you rank those three teams? Uh, well, you can never uh, count out Hokey, first of all, you know, because he's oh, he's like a magician over there, no matter where he goes. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's a very promising sort of guy. Um, I, it pains me to say it, but I, I think Washington has a pretty good chance to win that division. Um, I think they have a very good team all around. I mean, it's easy to make fun of Peter, but I mean, if you look up and down that lineup, there's not this you know, glaring weakness that you might expect to see. And same with the pitching staff. I mean, there's there's good players all the way up and down the team there. Uh, in Washington there. And then um, then again, with you in New York, I mean, there's there's no, I don't think, team that's head and shoulders above the other one. So I think you're probably pretty uh, accurate there with the uh, three-horse race uh, for the top there. And I think any of those three teams could probably win uh, one of the wild cards or one of, two of the wild cards at that point. Um, actually, no, because I would assume you'd probably have one in the central as well with one of those two teams, but we'll get to that. Um, so I think you're probably right on with that one. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I mean, I would probably say that Florida is probably the best of the teams just because of that pitching staff. I think uh, the top three are just so good and so transcendent that it puts them in almost any race. And in terms of the middle of that lineup, although it's not as good as it once was, you've got you've got Zalaga, you've got Zalaga toward the top who's who's going to do a good job. Mickey Bailey is still a is still a very good hitter, um, and uh, and. And Dean, Hor- Dean Thorpe has been fairly productive as well. I don't. I think though that this might be the year where where Hokies just lost enough from that lineup to the point where I think it's going to be closer than in years past, and it, it's going to be closer than it was this year in terms of the division. I think though, um, if you had to look at the weakness for either Washington or myself, you'd also point to the offense. You've got Musselman in there who's been productive since coming to Washington, more productive than what I thought, coming off his best year, but just coming off a drop. And if we look at his past before coming to Washington, has not been a very consistent hitter before that. Uh, Marfil uh, has aged uh, pretty drastically since coming to uh, pretty drastically since coming to Washington. You've got uh, you've got Al Bird. You've got uh, Al Bird who's just come in and peaked, but. Uh, is he going to be more like the player we? I think he's going to be more like the player we saw last year, as opposed to the one that came up and lit it up with Washington during his rookie season. Uh, I think that's a pretty average offense there in Washington, but I would say the same thing for my offense for the most part. So, uh, if I were to, I think that he might. He probably has a slight edge. He probably has a little bit more top end talent. And I'd put myself in third, which might keep me out of that second wild card spot, depending on what Milwaukee or uh, depending on what the the, the central, depending on how good the team that finishes second in the NL Central is going to be. 
but it's going to be very, very close. And I think this NL this NL uh, wild card race is going to be one of the bloodiest and toughest races that's been in the NL in a long time. Uh, I, I, is what I'll say about that. If I were to guess, I'd say I probably missed the playoffs by like two games or something along those lines. But we'll see. Um, it's it's going to be pretty brutal. Uh, Gilly, what do you think of this NL East? Yeah, you guys have pretty much said it. I think Florida is going to take it, and but it will be very close. I think. Um, Peter's got a decent team up and down the lineup. Um, I'm a little concerned with his his pen, his bullpen. He's got, you know, some good starters at the top with Russell and Catavico, but I'm a little concerned with his pen, uh, whether that can keep um, keep him in games. Uh, interestingly enough, Savon Brown, uh, you know, obviously he's declined quite a bit, but even with his overall at 78, he still has good control and movement. Uh, he had a little bit of a rough patch last year with Washington, but if he can bounce back and get into the, you know, the high twos or low threes as a reliever, maybe that'll help him. It definitely will help him, but uh, it'll, it'll be um, still, he's still got a rough pen a little bit when I look at it. Um, Florida, uh, obviously those three pitchers that he has at the top is going to keep him in so many games, and that's why I give the edge to Florida, but it is very close um, with the Nationals. And as far as your Mets, um you know, you've got some big contracts to release or sign after this year. You've got a $177 million payroll. So it's going to be interesting if you miss the playoffs, you know, you're going to have a decision to make which direction you go. So, um, I mean, I was trying to, I was trying to sort of retool and rebuild a bit, but the, no one was willing to pay like any serious amount of money, uh, for any serious, like, uh, like anything too much for my guys, except for maybe Lawrence. But even then I couldn't really reach a deal. And uh, so I sort of went with the, like, competition thing this year for the most part and didn't really add too much. Uh, So I was sort of caught in between. I was trying to sort of move away from competing, but the market dictated that I just stay with it because it made no sense for me to give, you know, a lot of guys that still have some good years left away uh, just because I have to. Um, and I think it's interesting. My payroll is down to 153 after cutting Sinoski, so it's not all the way up at 177. But yes, with uh, with other guys coming off the books next year, um, uh, with other guys coming off the books next year, Russo comes off for 16. Uh, Orego comes off for eight. Uh, 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 what's his name? Uh, Manny Pena comes off for another 16. And uh, there's probably some others that I'm not not remembering like off the top of my head, but just that's a lot of payroll coming off the way. So we'll see uh, what kind of position I'm in after this. Maybe um, maybe I'll be able to work through it and I'll still be able to compete next year. And maybe it was the best decision not to trade, not to sell low on a lot of these guys. But we'll see what happens. It could be. It, 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 it's an interesting, I think, transitional year. I think for the men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So we'll move on to the NL Central. Uh, Pittsburgh, first of all, has their controversial bet that they will win at least 90 games. Um, uh, we will get to that, to the force of predicting this division. But, Hick, let's start with you. What do you think will happen in the NL Central? Well, I mean, it's I kind of uh, alluded to it earlier. I think Cincinnati is the best team in the division. I think Milwaukee is the second best team in the division. Um, and I think, um, I think Gilly, you're the third. Um, I think you're, you'll um, over overstep St. Louis this year. I believe you finished fourth last year, but I don't know if that off the top of my head. Um, but I, I think that that's a fairly um, straightforward sort of setup for that division. Um, I think 
both Cincinnati and Milwaukee have a lot of good young pieces to keep performing well like they did last year. Uh, both teams won more than 90 games. Um, I think there's no reason to believe that they won't again this year. Um, so I, I believe it's an uphill battle for you, but I think you can do it. Um, and I'll be rooting for you now. Uh, well, I don't know if I'll be rooting for you, but I, I will be <laughs> happy to see you uh, succeed. Yeah, it'd be it, – uh, I, for the most part, I'd say, uh, Gilly, if if I had to say whether or not you win 90 games, I'd probably lean towards no. And I don't think that's a sign that you particularly have a bad team. I like a lot of the things about your team. I'd say uh, that when it comes to things I like, I think it, to my mind it starts out with the uh, starts out with some of the pieces you have toward the top of the rotation. I do like Chris Duggar, and uh, I do like Chris Duggar quite a bit. I think he's a good guy to lead you forward. I think uh, Dominguez, although he's aging a bit, uh, aging a bit, not maybe, and it would have been better to see him early in his career move to a team that really had a decent like team around him to show what he was going to do. And uh, Thurber, although has solid vitals, hasn't quite lived up to it yet. But I think uh, you could possibly really turn it around with him with a better with with a with a solid defense around him. I think, though, um, that if I had to pick a place in this division, it'd probably be fourth. And here's why: um, I'd say Cincinnati is probably the favorite to win, and Milwaukee has a ton of talent and probably is going to finish second. And I think we'll probably take at least one of the wild card spots. Now, the interesting thing is comes down to breaking down you versus St. Louis. Now, St. Louis isn't the team that they once were, but St. Louis um, does have uh, does have quite a bit of talent still there. Still has Dylan Moffitt. They still have Dylan Moffitt, who's aging a bit, but still very solid. Still have McCoy being somewhat productive in that lineup. And it's got Steve August, who hasn't quite been a superstar hitter, but has been very good in the middle of that order. Now, they also have some guys on the pitching side with some solid vitals, like Cody and uh, like Cody and uh, I think McGarry has been better performing than his vitals would indicate. Thomas Sencione, I think, is going to be a very good pitcher when he comes up this year. And uh, I think I would, I would probably say the same thing for Aguilar. I don't think that team is great by any means, but it's – uh, I still think with, you know, even with Lamatina there still putting up some decent numbers, I still think that it's going to be, you're going to be right there with the Cardinals in my mind around the uh, 83 to 85 win range is, is where it's going to shake up. I think you two are around the same level as a team. I'd say uh, in terms of some of the pitching, you have a good thing. Vakari is a great guy to build the team around. I think Marcus Aguilar is going to be a very good catcher, but in terms of the middle of the order, um, I think relying on guys like Justin Barron's, uh, the big typo, Chris McJames, and uh, and uh, Matt Dinkins at DH, uh, who I've never been particularly enamored with. I think it's just, I think you're asking for too much from a lot of like from a lot of guys who haven't shown the track record that they're going to be middle of the order hitters to really make a run at either Milwaukee or Cincinnati. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think you know when I look at the division, Cincinnati has got his the overall number one, um, you know, they've got all the pieces, you know, I said it before to be the man, you got to beat the man. And so, you know, he's got, he's got what it takes right now, but I will say though, that if one of his two pitchers goes down in his, um, you know, at the top of his rotation, I think it would leave the door open for Cincinnati potentially, um, you know, and see what, if he could sneak in there because, you, mean Milwaukee. you know, 
Yeah, I'm sorry, Milwaukee. So, you know, because there's not a lot of depth in the minors for Cincinnati. If you look, there's nobody that could come in and fill that, you know, spot for him if he were to lose a starting pitcher. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we'll just have to see how that plays out. Now, in terms of who's second, you know, I do have Milwaukee, um, you know, just just a little bit above where I've got, you know, my team at third. Um so we'll see what happens. Um, I think you're right when you say that I'm counting on some of these guys to perform maybe above where they performed in the past. I'm an I'm an optimist, so we'll see what happens. Um, but I <laughs> you can play. Have I can, to be in Mogul. Yeah, uh, I can play with the lineup a little bit too. So if I don't see what I like happening, I can I can move some things around and play some splits and potential platoons. Maybe that'll get me some offense where where it isn't maybe seen on the surface. So. We'll see if, you know, the pitching staff can come through on my team. I tried to build some um, pen as well, so I feel pretty good about that. But I do feel like I have a better uh, pitching staff than St. Louis, and that's why I felt like I would fit in at the third spot, and then St. Louis fourth, and then Chicago fifth. Uh, so are you going to keep Nate Copeland in the minor leagues this year, or is he going to be part of your rotation? Uh, he will stay in the minor leagues until his next jump. I want to see what happens in his next jump. Because I think he could be a guy who could be a bit of a difference maker for you this year down the stretch, if he, especially if he jumps again. But, um, you know, maybe not a guy you want to rush either. He doesn't really have a dominant pitch yet, although his vitals are quite good. So you may want to wait. But I can understand why you would keep him in the minors at least to start out. It's not as if you're starving for pitching. But it's going to be interesting to see uh, to see where you end up with. Although I think you may have made Peter $10 million richer, which I can't really – too excited about. We'll move on to the yeah. NL West. To, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll find out. We'll, we'll find out. It's not. It, it's certainly possible that you could win 90 games, but I wouldn't have bet on it. Uh, National League West. Um, San Diego has been the class of this division the last two years. They still have the much hyped and now actually productive to warrant the hype. Jamorian Williams at the top of that lineup. Um, also now with uh, Carlo Tamoris. In, in left field is finally given it finally is giving them like some hope of a real impact hitter in the middle of that lineup. Although he's a guy in my mind who's really begging with begging for like a, a, a part of a platoon to really help him out. And, uh, but we'll see what they, we'll see how he organizes the lineup. Um, also bringing Sam Harwell to sort of lead that rotation and the much talked about and much not supported by me, Donnie Erickson. So what, uh, how do we think this is going to work for San Diego? Uh, we've got Colorado making moves to seem to indicate that they want to compete. San Francisco making the move for Jasinski. Uh, and L.A. and Arizona sort of staying in rebuild mode. So my question would be, um, do we think San Diego is still going to win this division, uh, Gilly? Yes, I do. Um, you know, back to quickly a little uh, diversion here, but – I'm starting to kick myself on the Tamaris trade, uh, even though I don't I don't think he's that good of a player. I think he's at best a DH, but he's starting to look like I may have made the mistake there for what I did. But absolutely, uh, the Padres I think will will take the division. Although Bert I think is right to smell blood in the water, and that's why I think he went out and acquired Jasinski. I think he feels like he, there's a potential there, and if anything, this division does have the potential to take take on on a win. I mean, it's. It's weak. I mean, this is one of the weaker divisions. The Padres, you know, they don't have they don't have that good a pitching staff. They have absolutely no depth. Obviously, they have no farm system. So, um, 
it'll be interesting to see whether they can actually hold on or will San Francisco try to make more moves to acquire more pieces as the run goes. So I've got San Diego by uh, San Francisco just a little bit, um, taking over first spot. San Francisco second, Colorado third, and then L.A. and, and Arizona. So we'll see. Uh, Hick, how do you think this division is going to shake out? Uh, once again, I agree with my colleague there. Um, I do think that, like I mentioned earlier, I think um, San Francisco made a good move uh, because San Diego has basically been your default NLS champion because nobody is able or willing to compete with them. So I, I feel like it's nice to have one solid challenger and then Colorado making an effort now too to you know put some pressure on San Diego. Um, so I, I think it's going to be more interesting than it has in the past, but I don't think the results will be a whole lot different. Um, I, I still see San Diego winning the division. Uh, you know, maybe not next year, maybe not the year after that, but I mean, this year I still think they have it. And then you got San Francisco second. Um, I think San Francisco has a very, very outside, very outside chance at a wild card, but that'll be something to monitor over the course of the season. Um, because again, they're not going to have a whole lot of competition to deal with in their division while the other teams in the NL East and the NL Central are all beating each other up. So I think that could be something to monitor. Yeah. Um, it's, uh, it's an interesting division to shake out here. I think San Diego definitely has the most talent, at least in the major leagues, of any of these teams. But the issue with San Diego, Gilly hit it on the head, is depth. And I think one injury, just even one injury to a major player, could wreck San Diego for an extended period of time. I think San Francisco is probably the second best team, but I think they there's still some issues there. I don't really see much of a lineup there yet. Uh, John Theobald is a pretty solid hitter, but woefully miscast as a number three hitter in the middle of that lineup. I also wonder if maybe this is the if although they got away with with uh, 47 games of Ryan Turner at second base last year, I don't know if I would play someone with defense like that at second base. He could probably survive at third pretty well. He did fine there, but I. I think he's taken a major risk by playing someone that week defensively in the middle of their infield, even if he has Wilson and Garrick on the other side who are plus defenders. So I would consider going out and getting like a, getting like a solid second baseman in the open market. But I really think the hitting, it, it just isn't quite there yet. Although um, I might like San Francisco's rotation a little bit better than uh, a little bit better than, San Diego's at this point. San Diego's got got Dan Barry at the top, who's very good, and uh, they do have uh, they do have Ben Ward, who I like quite a bit. But Ward's gonna miss uh, Ward's gonna miss a few games, missed some games last year. Uh, certainly, you've got AA who's aging who's aging very quickly. Um, Tim Reed, who's also who, Tim Reed, who's also taken a drop already, and Donnie uh, Harwell, who has never quite lived up to his billing, and then Erickson, who's not, who's not. Uh, who, I've already said my piece about him. With the Giants, uh, I think Chris Eccles is. I think Chris Eccles. Uh, this might be the year we see him step up. Jasinski, we've already talked about. I think Vernon Riddle is going to be a guy that is going to put up better numbers than anyone expects. So. I think that they have the talent to potentially win this division. I think they're actually going to push San Diego, even if San Diego is fully healthy, but I would bet on San Diego. I think Colorado is still just too far away. Uh, they'll put up the numbers on the offensive side, but on, on the pitching side of the ball, I, I just don't think they have it. More, 
Morkova is not what he once was, and uh, although Segura is very good and Neville's very good, I, I, I think if you're relying on them to be your best starters, you're a little bit you're being a little bit too ambitious, especially against very good rotations in San Diego and San Francisco, and L.A. and Arizona are sort of out of it by design. So I'd, I'd pick San Diego alongside you guys. So real quickly before this podcast ends, Gilly, um, pick the five teams in your mind that make the playoffs uh, on, in each league and pick the team that you think is going to win the world title. Okay, so for the NL, I've got Washington, Cincinnati, San Diego, uh, Florida, and I'm going to give you the nod and say, can I get, can I add, yeah, I can add a, yeah, the Mets. So I think you make it in as the second wildcard team. Okay. I I can do that, right? And then, then yes, you can do that. Yeah, yeah. So the AL, you have Baltimore, Tampa Bay, White Sox, Seattle, and Oakland. So um, those are my 10. And then, who I think will play in the championship. I think it will be Florida versus Oakland. And who do you think will win? I think Oakland's going to take it this year. I like his style. Okay. So what do you think? Uh, the same you would pick, uh, Hick, or, or do you have to Well, I, I wouldn't go chalk with what he just said necessarily. Um, I think Tampa Bay wins the AL East. Um, I think they've got the best roster and the least amount of financial chaos going on in that division. Um, I think uh, Chicago wins the AL Central. I'm going to go with Oak, uh, sorry, with uh, Seattle in the AL West. Uh, National League, we've got um, – I, I, I'm going to kill myself for doing this, but, I mean, i, I got to go Washington in the NL East. I'm going to go Cincinnati, NL Central, um, and San Diego, NL West. Wild cards, AL, I would go – let's see. Should have done this all at the same time. Uh, Wildcats, I'd probably go with Baltimore. Uh, well, sorry. Um, yeah, Oakland and Baltimore, I would say. Um, I, I don't think the AL Central is strong enough to uh, have two teams in there. Um, whether that be Chicago or Detroit, I think they'll both be upper 80s, low 90s win team. Um, so then the NL, uh, NL Wildcats, I would go with, let's see, uh, we've got Milwaukee, um, and then... Florida. So then uh, your uh, World Series, I would say Cincinnati versus Seattle. That would be my pick. And who do you think is going to win that World Series? I would give the edge to Cincinnati once again, but I think those are the two deepest and best teams in, in the game right now. Okay. Uh, for my picks here, I'll start with the American League. I'll take Tampa Bay to win the East. Uh, Detroit to win the Central, and uh, Seattle to win the West. The two wildcard teams, I think, out of the American League, um, I'm debating the second one. The first easy one is Oakland. I'd say the second one, I'd probably lean towards uh, Chicago, actually. I think there will be two teams coming out of the Central. I think the East is just going to be a big ball of chaos for the most part. Uh, I think Chicago will just barely edge them out. Um, So... I think in the National League, uh, I'm picking Florida to win the East, Cincinnati to win the Central, and San Diego to win the West. And my wild card teams will be Milwaukee and, unfortunately, Washington. So uh, I think we hate Peter so much. <laughs> what? We hate Peter so much. It's funny. I, I know. I know. It just it just hurts. It, it just hurts <laughs> to pick him. 
Because you know, because we know he's going to be such a dick when he makes the playoffs. Just such a dick. Yeah. Uh, so uh, let's. So I think if I were to pick the two teams, I'd probably take Cincinnati, Cincinnati in the National League, and I'd take Seattle in the American League, and I'd say Seattle would probably win that. So we all pick three different teams to win the World Championship, which is interesting. We should make a friendly wager over that one. Uh no, uh, so <laughs> so I I am not confident enough in any of these picks to to wager on them. So I think it's going to be an interesting year. We have a lot of teams that I think think they can compete. A lot of teams that can actually compete. I think the league's in a pretty healthy place right now, if if I say so. Uh, mm-hmm. Hick, um, thank you for coming back to the league, and thank you for joining me on the podcast. Absolutely. And Gilly, you are always woefully overprepared for these things. I agree. Yeah, I am. In a good way. You know, one of the reasons why is because, you know, you know I have four kids, so I can close the office doors, I can sit in here, and, you know, daddy's got to work. So I, m- I make it appear that I'm working, and I can spend two hours on analyzing mogul. So that's that's my, uh, that was my Your escape. Thing, so. <laughs> yeah, that was my escape. See, that or the toilet. Those are the two quietest places <laughs> in the house, so. Yeah, it's uh, it's a good it, – it's certainly a good thing. I, I think I said on the uh, Nonsense podcast, there is no – there is no person on earth you uh, – there's no person on earth that anyone loves enough not to want to spend – not to want to avoid them for extended periods of time. I guess that goes for wives and children. Oh, I, yeah. I mean, I love my kids, but, man, there are times when you just need a little bit of a break. And so – I just need my space. I just need my space. Okay. So uh, at, at least like the at least like the people who are married with children are supporting me on that, uh, despite the fact that I am woefully unmarried and even more woefully without children. How do you be woefully now. unmarried? What does that even mean? <laughs> I find a way. Um, it needs no explanation. Um, <laughs> it's the Hawaiian shirts, isn't it? <laughs> it's it, it, it hasn't helped. I'll tell you that much. Uh, <laughs> I think it's more. I think it's more of my personality. I think people would put up with the Hawaiian shirts if I weren't so. Otherwise, aggressively weird. It's like you know, like you know how like most people have like one or two weird things about them. I have like ten of those weird things, so I think that's part of the problem. Well, there you go. Yep. So this will do it for the this will this will do it for this season preview of the FCM podcast Um, for twenty fifty three. Should be should be one of the most competitive seasons in the history of FCM and uh, hopefully people enjoy the season preview. I will happy. We are happy to have jinxed all of your teams at, in some way, shape or form or another. So uh, that'll do it. We'll see you with another podcast, probably around the draft, uh, probably around the time of the draft. We will hear from you guys again soon. Thanks. All right. Thanks for having me. See you again later. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.